Monday morning, and you're allowed to stumble along the way on the Monday morning. Good morning, this is Ian Lee. It's two minutes past six, Monday the 10th of September. This is BBC Three Counties. Lots on the show this morning. Are you ready? Good. London 2012 is now over. I hear some of you breathing a collective sigh of relief. Ended with a spectacular closing ceremony last night for the Paralympics. What has been your highlight? Also, today is World Suicide Prevention Day. We'll be speaking about that later on. And I couldn't get my baby to sleep last night. We, we tried, I say we, my wife, tried the control crying method. Wasn't particularly successful. I, I, I need your help this morning, dear listener. How on earth do you get an eight-month-old baby to sleep through the night? You can get in touch, as always, throughout the show. You can text 81333, start your message with 3CR, tweet me at BBC3CR, or, and this is what I'd rather you did, you can give me a phone call, 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Even more excitingly... Peter Jones from Dragon's Den is coming on later in the show. I know I'm well excited. I love Dragon's Den. He's my third favourite dragon. Duncan Bannatyne, Theopophetus and then Peter Jones. Very tall man, isn't he? Billy Joel, huh? You can laugh, but he's good. I've had a very sleepless night, and I was sleeping in the spare room, so I should have been spared this. Eight-month-old baby got into terrible sleeping habits while he's been away on holiday. Uh, and for all those concerned, yes, my wife and family came back on Friday, and it was wonderful. I've had a proper weekend of being a dad. My, little, my eldest, my two-and-a-half-year-old, rode a donkey for the first time and loved it. <clears throat> and he went bonkers on a bouncy castle. Fantastic weekend. But, <clears throat> excuse me, couldn't get the baby to sleep last night. It was tough. My wife was doing the controlled crying. For those of you who don't know uh, how this works, it's harsh. I'll explain the details of the controlled crying later on. It's harsh, but fair, I think, if it works. I do need your tips on getting babies to sleep, though. 08459 455 555. But, perhaps slightly more importantly to the rest of the world, after last night's spectacular closing ceremony for the Paralympics, which I missed, but it's on the front page of all of the newspapers. Turns out there were lots of pink fireworks and Coldplay. Uh, More than 700 athletes will today take part in a parade to celebrate their success at London 2012. My my sister's going to this, and I'm deeply envious. Uh, Including three counties athletes, Laura Trott, Greg Rutherford and Victoria Pendleton. It's expected to be one of the greatest national celebrations in the capital in modern times, rivalling the turnout for the Queen's Diamond Jubilee and Olympic torch. Here's the thing. Are you going to go and see the, uh, the parade today? Are you bunking off work? I suspect one or two people... Maybe pulling a bit of a sickie to go and see this. It, it, it's an historic moment, isn't it? So it's possible. Oh, wait, four, uh, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. And as we get ready for the event, the uh, parade today, let's have a look back on some of the successes from our local heroes this summer. And Victoria Pendleton is the Olympic Kieran champion. Fantastic. <laughs> We were, <laughs> there's a little soft bit of music at the end. We were talking upstairs and saying, well, what, what's next in the calendar? We've had such an amazing year uh, in terms of, of public celebrations and, and, and good things happening. In, I mean, whatever you think of them, they have been huge celebrations. The Jubilee, followed by the Olympics, followed by the Paralympics. And I said, well, what, what's next? And Dashi, one of the production team, said, well, there's Halloween and uh, bonfire nights. 
I kind of think that uh, uh, a local little bonfire night, however fantastic it may be, isn't really going to compare to uh, the joy of the Olympics and the Paralympics, is it, really? And Halloween isn't a thing. I don't count Halloween as a thing. Yes, we may cut a pumpkin. We, we may start cut a, cutting a pumpkin and halfway through it regret it because actually it's quite hard work and very messy. But it's not really a thing. Is there anything else coming up? There's nothing in it. This is why I mentioned Christmas at the start of the show. I love Christmas. And it is now only a few months away. But there's nothing else coming up, is there? Or maybe there is. Maybe you've got something coming up. Perhaps a wedding or a birth that we should be celebrating. Maybe there's something small that we should be celebrating that's a little bit better than Halloween and Bonfire Night. Oh, man. 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number. It's 6.15 on Monday the 10th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The Paralympics have come to an end with a spectacular closing ceremony featuring fire and light celebrating Britain's ancient traditions and festivals. A Buckinghamshire MP says she'll use all her energy to fight the high-speed rail link now she's out of the Cabinet. Cheryl Gillan, the Tory MP for Chesham and Amersham, says HS2 should be consigned to the dustbin. In sport, cricket, uh, in cricket, Hertfordshire side Reed are national village champions after beating Yorkshire's five-time finalist Woodhouse Grange by six wickets at Lord's yesterday. We'll have them on the show a bit later on. Weather coming up soon. And also, before seven o'clock, we'll be speaking to one of the stars of the BBC's first ever Asian sitcom, Citizen Khan. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's a pack show this morning. It, it, it's a cliche to say it's a pack show. It is actually a, a pack show. There's, there's no two ways around it. I do need your help uh, on um, finding out how to get my little boy to get to sleep, please. That's the key thing this morning. Eight months old, sleeping terribly, absolutely terribly. Uh, I, I, I need your tips. I'll explain what controlled crying is in a bit. It's not very pleasant, and some of you may think it's a bit harsh, but, oh man, we, we had a go last night, didn't work. Fantastic. Right, let's have a little bit of this, but a Stevie Wonder. We're like a well-oiled machine this morning at BBC Three Counties, if you could see. It's like a duck swimming. Looks very f- smooth on top, under the water. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Stevie Wonder, for once in my life, good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio with your breakfast show. You can give me a call any time you want. 08459 455 555. Now, today is World Suicide Prevention Day. Suicide rates in England have declined over the last 10 years, according to the Department of Health. But the figures show that it's now middle-aged men who are at a greater risk of taking their own life. Today is all about creating awareness, as well as making sure people who attempt suicide get adequate treatment and follow-up care. But will it really be of any great benefit? Our reporter, Serena Farrow, asked three people who've all been affected by suicide. Anna from Luton, whose son took his own life, Councillor Anne Swift from Hitchin in Hertfordshire, and volunteer Liz from the Bedfordshire Samaritans. Any resources that are available to people who are feel, feeling suicidal, the better the chance there is that a life may be saved. A whole mixture of, of people's input. So yes, the doctor on the medical side, yes, counsellors, but sometimes those people aren't available, and Samaritans are there 24 hours a day. Quite often the worst times at three o'clock in the morning when things seem to be unsurmountable. But if there's somebody there that can just calm you down and make you feel well, I can cope until tomorrow morning, and then I can see somebody who can help. 
I lost Joe just over two years ago. He was 31. He died by hanging. So the, the violent end. I had a great deal of care from volunteers who kept in touch pretty well on a daily basis. Mm. I think anything that brings a sharper focus onto people who are at risk of harming themselves has got to be a good thing. I'm here to help people come to a decision, and it's got to be their decision. And if somebody comes and they feel suicidal, the first thing I do is send them to the doctor. When people get suicidal, they really do feel out of control. That's what it's all about. They don't know which way to go. And the only way out would seem to them at that time, that's what they've got to do. It's desperate, really. Mm. What I say to people that I think feel suicidal is ask them to make a contract with me. In this room, we think of three people that they will ring if they feel that way. But they will ring that person and say, I am having a really near suicide experience here and that's a little bit of insurance and sometimes that works quite well and you know that's worked can we say in the yes. past oh yes. yes it has i had somebody who probably dead by now i should think of natural causes hopefully came and said that they had gone into the garage and they had started to put things into place to kill themselves and the phone rang and it didn't happen but they came and told me, and that I knew that we had to put something in place for them. And uh, that's what we did. That's our reporter Serena Farrow speaking to three people in beds and huts who've been affected by suicide and all agree that World Suicide Prevention Day is a good thing. Now, <clears throat> I have been uh, talking, and I will continue to talk this morning because I'm very, very tired. I have two children, two and a half year old and an eight-month-old, and the uh, eight-month-old is sleeping terribly. You can't even call it sleep. It's not even sleep. They're just in the bed and just crying. And last night, my wife uh, tried the brave uh, step of the controlled crying. If you don't know what this is, this is basically, you put the baby to bed, you let them cry for five minutes, then you go in, you, you don't pick them up, you leave them on the thing, say, there, there, calm down, you come out, you let them cry for ten minutes. Then you go in, pat them down then you come out and let them cry 15 minutes and you go on and on and eventually they should fall asleep yeah i know apparently it works it worked with our first but it worked on i think the second or maybe the third night last night i could hear was very stressful any tips you've got for getting kids to get to sleep oh eight four five nine four double five five double five ben is in buckingham good morning ben good morning Ian. you've got kids have you yeah how old i believe one's five and one is something else One's five and one's seven now. Okay, and how did you get this to work? It's that you can buy this special light, it's the size of the plug socket, yeah. and it lights up the room and it helps them sleep because it gives them like a little bit of light they need. Oh, so like a night light? Yeah. We've, we've, tr- we've got the night lights and we do it because um, uh, uh, for some reason my two and a half year old is convinced that there are monsters in his room. And my wife is all about saying, well, there's no such thing as monsters. And I'm going, well, yeah, there might be monsters in your room, but they're friendly monsters. <laughs> it's a difference of opinion when it comes to bringing up yeah. children. But the night light, how did that help your baby sleep? It's because uh, one of them's just really hard at sleeping. Yeah. And the second one has still got problems sleeping, so she has to have special medication. Oh, really? Yeah. What, what kind of medication are you giving to There's her? these special tablets that are um, slow-releasing, and it helps them sleep. 
Is this is this a medical condition that the the, the, the kid he's got? Yeah, because he's got learning difficulties. Ah, okay. So this kind of, kind of helps him relax and yeah. And, and, yeah. and chill out a little bit. I see. Yeah. Ever been tempted to take those pills yourself, Ben? No. I'm joking, of course. I would never <laughs> recommend anything like that. But listen, thank you very much for your tip. Hey, yep, thank you. Cheers, mate. There we go. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I need some tips. We're really at a loose end. Oh, it's the best song in the world. I'll shut up. It's the monkeys. Daydream, believe that is actually the best song in the world. There is no argument about it. It is the greatest song of all time. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Lots on the show this morning. London 2012, now over. Some of you breathing a sigh of relief. I I think it went on just long enough. Just long enough. Uh, But it ended with a spectacular closing ceremony uh, last night for the Paralympics. Two questions come from this. What's been your highlight... For me, it was when I went to the Paralympics and I saw a world record being broken twice in the women's um, uh, powerlifting. I know, it's a very niche sport. I've never seen a world record being beaten. Fantastic. Uh, And what's next? What's next in the calendar to look forward to? There's nothing really. It's all just kind of bleak and miserable. Now, 08459. Four double five, five double five, and uh, I think the, the important news story of the day is I could not get my baby to sleep last night. We're trying the controlled uh, crying method. It takes a few days. It's heartbreaking. How did you get your kids to sleep? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You can text as well. Eight one three double three. Start your text three cr or email three cr at bbc.co.uk. Now. Uh, this, I mean, this is just an incredible story that is, is going to run and run for a bit, I think. Let's get the latest on the investigation into the murder of three members of a British family who were shot dead while on holiday in France last week. A seven-year-old girl who was badly injured in the attack has now been taken out of a medically induced coma in a French hospital. Her four-year-old sister has returned to the UK, where police in Surrey have been searching the family home and speaking to relatives. The girl's parents and a woman believed to be their grandmother were murdered, along with a French cyclist near um, a lake in the south-east of France. Our reporter, Gavin Lee, is following the events. Good morning, Gavin. This is the first bit of positive news that we've heard, isn't it? As positive as you can be, that both girls appear to be recovering now. Yeah, I mean, it is, especially when you you hear about Zainab, the seven-year-old eldest sister. The condition she was in last week, she was shot in the shoulder, she had a fracture of the skull, she was put into a medically induced coma by French medical staff just to stop the body, essentially, so so it could concentrate on uh, recovering. She is now out of that medically induced coma. She's under sedation in hospital. She has uh, some of her family, we're told, with her. Her uncle and her aunt at a bedside, and she is thought to be the key witness in all of this, the one that police say uh, can give them some hope in trying to to piece together some detail about who or how many people were involved in the, the attack last Wednesday in this you know, beautiful part of France in the, in the foothills of the, the Alps. Uh, they said that she is not in a fit state yet to be interviewed, though, and the youngest of the two, Zena, who we all know now, was hidden under the, under the body of her mum for eight hours before oh, she was found in harms. She was deeply traumatised. She has said to the police over the weekend... And through um, British consular staff who've, who've been helping, and, and psychologists, that she did not see anything. So she's flown back to the UK. She's now in the care of social services, and child psychologists are, are helping. You may not know this, Gavin, uh, but the, the older child, you say she's out of the coma. Uh, uh, yeah. Can she speak? Is she conscious? She's under sedation, so I guess right. she's um, you know, slowly, uh, probably able to say, you know, very 
it's a few words too hard yeah. to uncle, but certainly not not in a fit enough state to uh, be giving any more than that. There's a few interesting things in. It's probably worth me mentioning to yeah. you in the last couple of days or so because there was this one theory, wasn't there, about the the row between the two brothers that French police had said Saad Al Hili, the, the adult, the father of the two girls who was killed, along with Iqbal, his wife, and what we believe to be um, his mother-in-law. Mm. Uh, Zaid is the name of the brother. French police have said they got an issue about a financial dispute. He has taken himself to British police, to mm. Surrey police, to say that he knew nothing of this, there was no financial issue, so the French are now saying that uh, they see this as, as a cautious line of inquiry, that they will still like to speak to uh, Zard al-Hili, but they would like to speak to him just as any other member of the family, as a witness, and we expect that to happen too. There's something else coming from the French builders. Now, this is, this is something that hasn't been mentioned before by police. French builders in the area, near this village uh, where the car was found in the southeast of France, they say they saw the Al-Hili family car not long before they were all shot dead. And the builders noticed it was a British registered car, they saw the family in it, and there was no other vehicle following that car. Now, if that's the case, it would lend credibility to the idea that this was a targeted ambush, that whoever mm. killed the family you know, were, were waiting there knowing it would stop. And that's one of the theories the French police are, are saying they are working on. Gavin, it, it's, it's a mystery that goes on and on. Thank you very much. That's our reporter, uh, Gavin Lee. And uh, it's just one of... I was watching this on the news uh, last night with my wife. wife, uh, And it, it seemed kind of, you know, that the police were clutching at straws, really. It's just one of those things. A terrible, terrible story. It'll be interesting to see how it progresses. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459... Four double five, five double five is the telephone number. What is there to look forward to now that the Olympics and the Paralympics are over? Is there anything in your diary that we should be celebrating? Do let me know. Speak to you after this. Six forty. Where are we? Monday, the tenth of September. It's nearly Christmas. I'm looking forward to. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll turn your microphone. You can fiddle with your microphone. It's all right. So sorry. You can fiddle with the <laughs> microphone. I thought you were a professional broadcaster. Uh, uh, uh. Turns out you're as amateur as I am. <laughs> for goodness' sake. Now, many of us remember uh, the comedy sketch show. Goodness gracious me. The hit BBC Two comedy series from the 90s that poked fun at British and Asian stereotypes. Well, the latest Asian comedy show, say late, we've not had many, we've been about 15 years, more than since that, uh, that's got people talking is BBC One's Citizen Khan, and it stars BBC Three County Radio, very own Nish Nathwani, who's here with me now. Good morning, Nish. Nish. Hey, yeah. And you want to mess around the microphone anymore? No, no, no. No, I'll I'll do it afterwards. You sure? Yeah. Uh, I, I, now listen, this is only my day three here So yes. forgive me, I didn't know that you worked at Three Counties You're, I didn't know we had a boxing reporter Yeah, um, as and when and uh, you know. When uh, was the I last time they of... called up your services on, uh, To I, report I'll on boxing? Going back a while ago, <laughs> the, the, the boxer we've got at the moment Is a guy called Billy Joe Saunders right. Who had a long term injury, but he's back And he's uh, you know, d- doing really well You now. passed the test, you know your mm. stuff What part do you play in Citizen Car? I play Riaz, the Mosque Undertaker Yeah um, it's, a good, it's a good title. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, yeah, um, don't want to say too much, but he's, he's, he's a friend of Khan's. Yeah. Or at least he thinks he's a friend of Khan's. Right. Um, and a uh, bit of a trigger character, really. Right. From, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and as, as the... See, I think in these, in these kind of programmes, I think it's good if you're not playing the main person, because the pressure's off you a bit, and you, you can always guarantee to get a few good lines in there and a, a few good bits and pieces. So I think that the, with, a, with a sitcom, the star is always the one that's going to get the most praise or the most criticism. So I think just being off to the side, like Trigger, as you say, is a fantastic character in yeah. Fools and Horses. You, you, and, and you look for those sort of... Those 
those you know those characters you look for when they come on you're like okay yeah what what are they gonna say what are they gonna do you know so um yeah it, it, it's great great for me cause what is the show about I've not, I've, i'll be honest i've not seen it i'm aware of the character of citizen because yeah. he was in um bellamy's people as you said which is right. it was a spin-off from down the line which is one of my favorite shows okay so just br- briefly explain what the series is about the series is about um <clears throat> this uh pretty much self-appointed community leader citizen khan played by adol ray yeah um and uh him and his uh if you like his mr me is you know he, he's a typical dad husband that of anybody from any community could, could relate to he, yeah. he's an embarrassing frustrating annoying dad and husband really yeah and and sort of you know the shenanigans that go on with him now, it's, him. it's had mixed reviews i bring this up yeah. only because i was in a sitcom uh, a couple of years ago called the persuasionists which was so succe- successful it got moved from its tuesday night nine thirty slot to 1 a.m on a sunday morning right. so it could draw its big audience over to what is perceived as a dead slot right. and, <laughs> and it got stinky reviews but do you know what I'm really proud of it. Yeah. Are you, are you? Do you take any notice of the reviews? Are you proud of what you've what you've achieved in this? How do you how do you react to reviews? We don't like I, getting bad ones. Um, no, I mean you, you don't. I mean I, I have seen. I'd be lying if I said I haven't seen the um, you know the odd review. I, I have seen. A, um, I've seen. To be honest, one review. Um, right. Uh, I won't say where, but I've seen one review. You know, um, great. But um, for, for me, this is all uh, a learning curve yeah. as well. Do you know what I mean? And I think, hey, you're in the industry. You're in yeah. the industry yourself, Ian. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is, it goes part and parcel of the job. And, you know, if no one's writing about uh, you, then, you know, maybe you need to knock a bit harder. I, I think I, I think it's it's, yeah. it's all good, you know, just... Uh, uh, it's all good, and just carry on doing what you're doing to the best of your ability. Exactly. That's the right attitude. People still say, why did you do the persuasionist? Well, because I thought it was quite funny, actually, yeah. and I got paid £10,000. Yeah. That's why I did it. So exactly. Thank you very much. Yes, exactly. Uh, how did you get involved with it? I'm assuming you, you are, obviously you're an actor. Yes. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an actor, and for this particular thing, like um, any actors, um, as you'd know, you have uh, an agent. Yeah. Um, your agent, um, uh, casting directors approach your agent. You got for a casting with this particular one. Um, I went up for um, a, a casting. It was a, it was a lengthy process. A casting at TV Centre, yeah. where I'm Adil and Nick Wood and uh, Co were. And from there, they said, "Yeah, we're happy with you." And things have kind of slightly changed. But you know, we want you to come back and do a, a three day workshop at Rada and perform two episodes. Done that um, with another stand up comic uh, by f- name of Felix Dexter. Felix Dexter's brilliant. Yeah, he's a legend. He is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and uh, on the back of that, they said to Felix, oh, "Yeah, really like you." However, you know, will you come back <laughs> and do <laughs> another two-day workshop at yeah. uh, Rada and uh, you know perform two more episodes after that you know with the commission and ed- editor there and the head of comedy and the producer and all the rest of it and we found out that uh, you know great you know we've got the part so fantastic Nish, listen it's very nice to meet you nice, nice to meet you nice to meet another member of the three county stuff and I wish you the best of luck with the series thank you mate don't go on Twitter I, I you know what I, I'm not on it good um, can I just say though please watch it tonight yeah oh, it's, it's, on, it's on tonight uh, yeah. 10.35 BBC One, BBC One. Nish, fantastic Cheers. excellent stuff uh, right it's time for this Thank you, Sophie. It's 6.45 on Monday, the 10th of September. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A summer of Olympic and Paralympic sport will be brought to end later today with a victory parade through central London. Cheryl Gillan, the Tory MP for Chesham and Amersham, is promising to use all her energy to fight the high-speed rail link now she's out of the Cabinet. In sport, in Rugby's Championship, Bedford drew 38-all at Rotherham yesterday, with the home side awarded a penalty try in the dying seconds. 
Weather, we're in for a cloudy day with the chance of a few light showers. Top temperature is 21 degrees. And coming up, a parade is planned in London to celebrate the Olympics all over again. We'll find out more after seven. BBC Three Counties Radio. Right, that's Dion, the Wanderer. Now, Dion is fantastic. He did a brilliant album in the 70s, the name of which escapes me, produced by Phil Spector. Here's a question, and I'm setting everyone a challenge. Is Dion still alive? If he is, can we get him on the show, please? I want a Dion Hunt. I want Dion... can't remember what his last name is. He's got a last name, I know he has. I want Dion on this show, if he's still with us. If he's not, then I pass on my wishes to his family. But he's fantastic. What a voice. What a voice. Speaking of voices, I'm about to do something I never thought I'd do on the uh, radio. I'm going to read you some poetry. <laughs> Let's see how this goes. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less travelled by, and that has made all the difference. You can tell that's a poem because it rhymes a little bit. They're the last words of The Road Not Taken by the American poet Robert Frost. Here's an interesting thing that I didn't know until the weekend. Robert Frost lived in Buckinghamshire. Hmm, Beaconsfield. I know Beaconsfield very well indeed. Uh, he lived there with his wife and children. And to mark the occasion, a performance will be put on in Beaconsfield Old Town with readings of Frost poems and an outline of his time there. In a minute, we'll be speaking to the scriptwriter, but first, let's find out about Frost's connection with Buckinghamshire. Uh, Sophie Solaria met Carrie from the Beaconsfield Society. I was a young librarian working in my first job almost at Beaconsfield Library. I was quite embarrassed at first because I used to get these American writers and professors knocking on the library door saying, where's Robert Frost's bungalow? Of course, I was completely unaware of the connection between Beaconsfield and Robert Frost. Robert Frost and his family came to Beaconsfield 1912. He was here with his four children and uh, he uh, stayed for about two years. He wrote some of his most famous poetry. He was obviously inspired by Beaconsfield and I always felt this was completely forgotten local history, which uh, something Beaconsfield should be proud of. Here we are, arriving at the library. And this is where you came for all this, your years Yes, this is where I, I worked for nearly 20 years, I think. Here's the girls. Hello. Hello, Donna. So here we see a picture of the bungalow and the children outside. And that photo was taken in 1913, when they were here. And around the display, you can see great poster-sized poems which he wrote in Beaconsfield. He wrote the poem Virtues. He wrote After Apple Picking. My long two-pointed ladders sticking through a tree towards heaven still and there's a barrel that I didn't fill beside it. You know, the, the fact is that when he was in, in Beaconsfield he actually sat down and wrote it. He got his inspiration from he got here. His, yes, he's got his in, inspiration from Beaconsfield. This is a picture of the bungalow. Can you take me to where it once stood? Yes, of course. We will take a walk. So here we have the house that has been built on the site. This is where he lived. This is where the bungalow was. It had an extensive garden. 
with um, you know apple and pear trees and it backed on to a lovely cherry orchard at the back they were very very happy with the bungalow it was very cramped i mean it was it was small but they were they were still happy to be here and on the wall just outside the house a plaque a green circular plaque saying robert frost the great american poet lived on this site We decided to do it off our own bat and we had it designed. We negotiated with Jeff Taylor and his wife that lived here and who had bought this house. They were delighted to do it. It turned out to be such a lucky coincidence that they were Anglo-American couples. So, of course, they thought the world of uh, Robert Frost and were very honoured to have the plaque on the low wall in front of their house. Well, with us now is Linda Hart, an American expert on Robert Frost. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Ian. Why did Robert Frost choose to come to Beaconsfield, of all places? I'm guessing it wasn't because it was near the M40. No, no. No, he was farming and teaching in New Hampshire, uh, wasn't getting uh, many poems published, wanted to get away from everything and escape somewhere. So the choice was going to the wilds of Canada or coming to England. The family tossed a coin uh, and heads was England and England won. So he got to London. Hang on, sorry, Linda, did they really toss a coin to make that decision? Yeah, yeah, his daughter remembers them tossing a coin. Fantastic. he tossed a coin, and it, it was uh, it was England that won. And a uh, uh, hundred years ago, late first day or two in September, they arrived in London, and he was looking in a magazine and saw some articles about the countryside around London. So, what a way to go house hunting! Ian, he yeah. went to the editorial offices of this magazine and said, can somebody help me find a house somewhere around London in nice countryside? And uh, I guess somebody there knew that a new railway line had just come through Beaconsfield in 1909, and that meant that new Beaconsfield was developing and houses were being built. So all we know is that somebody in this magazine office recommended that he go to Beaconsfield. You mentioned the daughter. She's not still with us. Is she? She, she, she passed on. She passed on, but um, I, I do know her daughter, uh, who is a Frost scholar in, in America. And, uh, no, it's, uh, it, it's all been documented about uh, his, uh, his tossing this. Oh, well, listen, Linda, I, I believe you're not in any way questioning. Who is this fraud we've got on making up some nonsense <laughs> about tossing a coin? No, of course I believe you. It, you say it's been 100 years since he came to Beaconsfield. What's happening to mark the occasion? Well, um, Ian, you said a few minutes ago, is there anything in your diary we should be celebrating after the Olympics? So I would like to answer your question. Put it in. You're good. Go on. Well, say that this Saturday uh, in Beaconsfield, uh, there are going to be two performances of uh, an event called the English Years of Robert Frost. Um, I wrote the script, but it's going to be performed mainly by... uh, an actor called Gabriel Wolf, who's who's been on the radio and on uh, TV for many, many years. And I will tell the story of Frost's time in England. Gabriel will be reading some of these wonderful poems, the letters that Frost wrote at home, uh, poems and 
letters that he wrote when he was at the bungalow. And in in one hour, we will we will tell uh, tell this amazing story about the risk he took in coming over here. He didn't know a soul. He had four young kids with him. His two books were published. His first two books of poems were published in London, and when he went back to America in 1915, he was being hailed as a great new American poet. So that's the story that we will tell, how, how all of that happened. Linda, how, have you, how are you getting finance to put this on? Are you, is this coming out of your own pocket? No, no. This there is the wonderful Beaconsfield Society who is sponsoring it, and the most important point is the firm of uh, A. C. Frost Estate Agents, now mm. called the Frost Partnership. They had an office next to the railway station. When Robert Frost arrived in Beaconsfield to look for a house, he went to, he must have seen the sign saying A.C. Frost. He must have had a bit of a laugh, and he went in, and John Frost, the current managing director of the Frost Partnership, his uh, great-grandfather remembers Robert Frost coming in, and they uh, rented Frost, the bungalow on Reynolds Road um, that Kari has just uh, explained to you about the plaque, etc. Fantastic. Linda, listen, we've got to move on. I-, I wish you the best of luck. I love things like this. I love things like this. And well done, the Beaconsfield Society, for putting it on. Superb. Uh, Linda Hart, who's an expert on Robert Frost, and you can see the, uh, that event over the weekend. Superb stuff it is. Thank you very much, Linda. Ah, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up in the next hour. I do need your tips on getting babies to sleep. And what have we got to look forward to now that the Olympics are all over? All that and more after the news with Catherine Boyle. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Here until nine o'clock. Plenty coming up in the next two hours. Coming up in this hour... London 2012 is now over. Ended with a spectacular closing ceremony last night for the Paralympics. Two questions. What's been your highlight? And what have we got to look forward to next? Anything? The ca- apart from the fantastic Robert Frost event that's happening at the weekend, the calendar's a little bit bleak. If you've got something that we should know about, do give us a call. Today is World Suicide Prevention Day. We'll be speaking about that a bit later on. And uh, we're struggling at home. We're struggling. I can't get my eight-month-old baby to sleep. Any tips? You can give me a uh, text, 81333. Start your message with 3CR. You can tweet at BBC3CR. Or you can give me a phone call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Are you going to the parade later on today in, uh, in London? My sister's going. I got a text yesterday from my sister saying, oh, we're going to the uh, Olympic Parade Monday, if you fancy it. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm up at four. I'm probably going to be tired. <laughs> so I'm going to miss it. But the greatest Paralympic Games ever. Those are the words of Sir Philip Craven, the International Paralympic Committee president. London 12, uh, 2012 did come to an end last night with a spectacular closing ceremony for the Paralympics. But today, 700 athletes will take part in a parade to celebrate their success at London 2012. And whatever you think about it, and I, I did start off these Olympics as a huge cynic. Not a fan of sport, really dreading it, and I was, I was completely turned around. The moment I saw the torch being um, carried in Luton by Lewis Hamilton and others, I got sucked into it, and I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the whole thing. 
Uh, but there today will be three counties athletes, uh, Greg Rutherford, Victoria Pendleton and Laura Trott. Um, uh, very exciting. We've got Laura's uh, dad, Adrian, on the line now. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning. What uh, are you going to be doing today? Um, we're going to be watching the parade from somewhere along the mail. Um, and just waiting to greet everybody come home. Have you got a, a top-secret VIP location, or are you going to be in with the hoi polloi? Um, oh, I don't think the location is, is secret, but it's the, um, the ticketed area along the mail. Superb. Um, courtesy of Procter & Gamble. Fantastic. And, and, uh, what time does, does the march start? What, how, what's the running order for today? It's leaving, uh, Guildhall at one o'clock. It's making way down through the city um and then it's going to i think it's going to be held at trafalgar square which we i think the last sort of bit where the public can can see um and then move into the mail not quite sure what's going to happen along the mail but uh say it's ticketed and it's going to be games makers representatives of the armed services um, family and friends. Listen, I'm a dad. I'm a dad of two boys. They're, they're, they're nippers. But I, I am already immensely proud when they do anything. I, I can't begin to imagine what it must feel like for, a, for you in your position to see Laura do so well and then to see her take part in this historic parade today. Can, can you describe the feelings? You, you can't because it's, it's all very numbing, really, because they're, they're always your children. Mm. And... They're, surround, they're surrounded by people that are, that you look at as being superstars. Mm. So, Sir Chris, Vicky, people that Laura's grown up looking at. Um, and now she's up there with them. But it doesn't change who she is. And you still look at um, her. Um, you know, you'd still wander up to Chris Hoyt and say, <laughs> well done, mate. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. Because it's only Laura. Yeah. It, it, is, it is really weird to try and get that across to people. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that they're your children. How is she feeling? Has it sunk in yet? I, I'm guessing it might take a little while for the, all of this to kind of fade away a bit, for it to actually sink in exactly what she's achieved and what she's been part of. How has she been? Um... Well, for the last week, she's been on holiday, so... Oh, um, good for her. Anywhere, anywhere nice? Um, she's been to Dubai. Superb. I think, I think we can say that. Okay. Now she's more or less back at Heathrow, yep. so... Uh, um, I don't know. She's, she seems to take it very much in her stride. Um, you've, you've seen her chatting on the telly. Mm. That's very much how she is. Um, it, I think the attention... Well, not, I won't say got to her, but it, it was hard work uh, a couple of weeks before they, they got the, their, their week off. Um, a lot of demands, but she's, she's enjoyed it. Whether she realises exactly what she's been part of, I think that's only something you will come over over years. Um, I think us and, and the public generally looking in realise how how great this is you mentioned the demands and that's interesting because normally if you're an athlete uh you kind of it's not particularly glamorous it's a lot of getting up at four in the morning doing your work uh and it's all solitary and every now and then you might get a pat on the back and a medal but this olympics in particular 
everyone, even the winners and the, those who didn't win medals from the Team GB, have been treated almost like pop stars. Have they become celebrities? That they have. Um, it, I mean, I think that that is credit to the, the British public. The way, um, well, as you said yourself, you weren't a fan. Yeah. You were a skeptic. Um, and I think so many people along the way, all of a sudden, there's been a trigger. I, I know people that, that I work with um, weren't, weren't interested when they lost out in the ballot initially. Then all of a sudden, were just buying any tickets to get into the park. They've, they've supported the para games. They've gone to three, four, five sessions. Again, because they've come to that, that late. Um, the, the, the nation's just embraced it. Mm. I, had a, I had a day at the XL Centre uh, last week watching uh, women's uh, Paralympic uh, powerlifting, some table tennis and sit-down volleyball. Uh, uh, yeah, sit-down volleyball. And I was kind of thinking, well, well, you know, we'll go along, be, be part of it. It was one of the best days I've had in a long, long time. I met up with some friends there. It was superb. It was so, I saw a world record being broken, Adrian. I've never seen that before. It's amazing to be part of that. It is. Yeah. And this is this is how it, it's it's grabbed people, and it doesn't matter whether whether it was the XL, whether it was table tennis, powerlifting, um, basketball at the uh, North Greenwich Arena. People just got into it. Um, yeah. We 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 went and saw some handball. Um, okay, we were lucky to have a GB game there, but um, Croatia versus Hungary, I think, was the other game. Um, Fantastic atmosphere in the in the copper. It box. didn't matter what nation it was, was it? That was the thing. I thought, well, I'm not going to. I, I saw a, a Team GB lad playing table tennis, and that was it. And I was thinking, oh, really? Russia versus Germany in sit down volleyball, but it was fan. It's the atmosphere, and it was being part of it. It was fantastic. And it's just seeing all these different sports as yeah. well. Listen, uh, Adrian, I'm going to wish you the best. Like, enjoy the day. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, as a dad, one dad to another, you know, it, it, it don't get no better than that. I'm sure. So just have a fantastic day and be proud of your little girl. Thank you very much. Cheers, Adrian. That's Adrian Trot, Laura Trot's dad. Super. And when you are a parent, just the smallest, smallest thing makes you proud and excited. My boy rode his first donkey yesterday. And he was with his mum, and I could watch, I was watching them, and she was kind of holding his back, and he kept pushing her hand away because he wanted to do it on his own. Oh, my God, I was proud of that. Imagine if he'd won a gold medal. Imagine if he was in an Olympic parade. I don't think I could stand it. Superb. Adrian, have a fantastic day. And all of the parents and all of the athletes, it's going to be great. Are you going to that today? Do give me a call. Let me know. 08459 455 555. And also, what, what have we got to look forward to now that the, the Jubilee and the Olympics are over? Everything's going to be a bit of a, an anticlimax, isn't it? There's nothing really on the calendar that's, that's going to grab us by the throat. 08459-455-555. We were talking about Dion earlier on. Dion and the Belmonts, remember them? The Wanderer. Then he had a superb album in the 70s, the name of which escapes me. Uh, and my mission that I've set myself and my team is to A, find out if he's alive. That's the easy bit. We think he might be. And if he is, get him on the show. Mark's in Bletchley. Good morning, Mark. Uh, good morning, Ian. How you doing, mate? I'm good, thank you. You've got some Dion info, have you? Yeah, Dion's still about, actually. Yes. Um, if I had to, I've got no internet connection at the moment, or oh. I'd uh, go and see what he's doing on his Facebook page. He's Hang on, Dion's on Facebook? Yeah, Dion DiMucci. That's it. Got, he's got one of those like pages, sort right. of thing. So, and he does update on his shows. His, his mates like Bobby Rydell and Charlie Gracie. 
he does. He's very, yeah, he's very interactive, uh, and he's got thousands and thousands of followers. Oh, man, we're, we're going on his Facebook page today, Mark, and we are going to li- click the like button and ask him to come on the show. <laughs> That's so yeah. modern. Mark, you'll know this. What was the album he did with Phil Spector that I'm thinking of? Uh, there's been two or three in the set. It was the one that's got Make the Woman Love Me on it. Oh, no, I don't know oh, that one. Oh, man, it's it, wonderful. There was, a, there, was, um, there was an album in the 70s, I think it was called The Radio Good Guys. Right. And it was released on the Phillips label. And it was, um, the album cover consisted of how they speak in the Bronx. And you had to be able to read it, you know. Superb. Uh, you know they 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 do these uh, the way they speak in the in the Bronx, and it yeah. was written like that on the album. I've got that one somewhere. Mark, listen, I'm going to find out the name of this Phil Spector one because it's wonderful. Mark in Bletchley, thank you. This is the great thing about doing a, a show like this, is I can th- I can think things and and throw those thoughts out, and within minutes you get people like Mark calling in saying, "Oh yeah, I can help with that." Dion DeMucci's on Facebook. Of course he is. It's 2012. Where else would he be? My mission, dear listener, and I'm going to work blooming hard at this. When I say work, when I say I'm going to work hard, I'm going to send several texts and emails to my producer to make sure she works blooming hard on this. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm not actually going to do much groundwork myself. We will do our best to get Dion on the radio uh, and get him on this show. Wouldn't that be fun? It's Monday the 10th of September at 7.15. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Members of the British Paralympic and Olympic teams will mark the end of a summer of sport with a victory parade in London this afternoon. Cheryl Gillan, the Tory MP for Chesham and Amersham, is vowing to use all her energy to fight HS2 now she's no longer a cabinet member. In sport, Andy Murray will attempt to win his first glam, Grand Slam title tonight as he plays in the US Open final. Murray defend, uh, faces defending champion Novak Djokovic, who won his semi-final against David Ferrer in four sets. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a few moments with Steve Weston. And coming up before 8am, we'll be speaking to the MP for Chesham and Amersham, Cheryl Gillan, about her opposition to HS2. BBC Three Counties Radio. I do need your tips on getting my baby to sleep. This is a genuine, this isn't a, oh, we need to, we need to uh, fill in a little bit of radio. This is a genuine plea. If I'm going to be getting up at four o'clock in the morning for you, dear listener, I'm doing it for you, I'm going to need to get some sleep. And I didn't get any sleep last night, even though I was in the spare room. So I, uh, how do you get an eight-month-old baby to sleep? We're doing the controlled crying. Is that, is that actually going to work? Does that always work? If you've done it, did it work for you or did you give up? Have you got any other tips? Well, someone, uh, a friend of a friend said, oh, give him a little, you know, nip of whiskey. What? He's eight months old. Oh, no, not a nip. You just dip your finger in it, or the dummy. He hasn't got a dummy. Or dip the, the teat of the, the bottle in the whiskey, and then get him to have a slurp on that. I don't think so. No. No, maybe in the war you would have done that, but you wouldn't do that in 2012. That's bad. That's got to be bad parenting, hasn't it? Oh, eight four five nine. Four double five five double five, or you can text eight one three double three. Start your text three CR. Should we have a quick look at the front pages of the newspapers? They're all pretty much the same thing, really. It's all about the uh, closing ceremony of uh, the Paralympics last night and the end of twenty twelve. Started off as a bit of a joke to me. It's ended up being uh, uh, an inspiration. I would suggest it's gone on long enough. I think we kind of reached the zenith, the, the tipping point of how much sport we could uh, stand in our house. But, superb. So the front, all of these have got amazing photos. The front page of The Guardian, 
goodbye to Britain's golden summer. Um, and it's, it's just an amazing uh, a picture of fireworks and the whole stadium going absolutely crazy. Uh, the Times... Uh, from the Heart London 2012, I don't like their kind of fake covers that they've got, so I kind of tend to go into the inside cover. Uh, and an amazing picture of David Weir celebrating with his one-year-old son. <laughs> Look at that, the little boy sat on his daddy's lap on his wheelchair, sucking on a dummy with a gold medal around his neck. Fantastic. I love the little tummies. The little tummies that, 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 that one-year-olds and two-year-olds have. Little Buddha tummies. Love that. They are. Little round things. I love it. Fantastic. The Telegraph. The Summer of Love. Hey, man. The summer of love has passed. Well, I'm not quite sure there was... Love? Really? Uh, this greatest of all sporting seasons closed with millions hoping the spirit set free by the Olympics and Paralympics can achieve a lasting... Oh, Paul Hayward of The Telegraph there. Using very flowery prose. And good for him. Why not? Uh, the Telegraph, all over in a blaze of gro- glory. But... Oh, sorry, The Express is all over in a blaze of gro- glory. But they can't leave it there. This is why the Express is so wonderful, because half of it is all over in a blaze of glory. Fireworks at the stadium. But the, second, the bottom half of the front page, 80 miles per hour gales to hit Britain. We're all doomed. Perfect storm on way as Hurricane Michael brings end to record heatwave. Gales of up to 80 miles per hour will batter Britain this week as a perfect storm threatens to sweep across the country. We're all doomed. Good weather at the weekend, wasn't it? I think Sunday was the last... That was the last summer's day we're going to get. I think that's it now. We'll find out in a minute. We've got Steve Weston coming on. Uh, it's been a blast. One billion watch Paralympics Heroes finale. Um, and there's also How My Father Killed Himself by Lord Lucan's son. Lord Lucan's son looking uh, remarkably like Kevin O'Sullivan, the TV critic. The Independent, there is a flame that will never go out. Uh, and the sun, heartfelt farewell to Paralympics. Closing spectacular wows millions. Uh, and there's a picture of uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay. Yeah? Uh, and Rihanna. And then there's a tiny box. X Factor loses three million viewers. He's not doing too well, is he, Cal? With the X Factor and red or black uh, looking like it's being scrapped. Now, it's uh, oh, 7.22. A campaign has been launched today by the Lymphoma Association to mark the start of Lymphatic Cancer Awareness Week. The little-known but common form of cancer is more likely to strike young people than any other form of the disease. Linda Edmonds from Aylesbury suffers from lymphoma. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Uh, Linda, can you tell me, what is lymphoma or lymphatic cancer? Lymphatic cancer is is a blood cancer, um, so it, it, it's mainly in the blood, but it affects the lymphatic system, uh, and you have um, lymph nodes all over your body, um, and one of the main symptoms is um, a lump in the neck, but there's lots and lots of very bizarre symptoms that go along with lymphoma. What are some of the bizarre symptoms? Um, they, they can be um, very uh, non-specific, as in just feeling really, really tired mm. for no apparent reason, um, being very pale, um, tummy pains, um, very, very, very bizarre. Um, e- each person that experienced different symptoms. What was the first thing that you experienced, Linda, when you thought, hang on, that there might be a problem here? Um, I think that the, the, two, the two symptoms that I had were... Um, abdo pains, tummy pain, mm. um, and feeling an overwhelming tiredness. Um, a tiredness that I really didn't know how to put one foot in front of the other. 
Um, night sweats are, are another symptom, but I didn't experience night sweats. And with the, this exhaustion, when it came on, did it kind of come on suddenly? One day you were fine, and the next day you're like, oh my goodness, I can't even get out of bed? Or was it a gradual progression? No, that, uh, excuse me, that, that's the other bizarre um, thing about this, this disease. Um, I started actually feeling unwell in January um, 2010, um, didn't go to the to my doctor until the following June. Oh, Linda! Only because the symptoms came and went. Right. Um, and it wasn't until I was finding it really difficult to eat because I was feeling nauseous uh, and the tummy pains were getting more frequent um, that I thought, hang on a minute something's really not quite right here and and it was a friend i actually spoke to a friend and, and said to her that i felt very unwell um and she bullied me into going to the doctor good for her i know it's, it's men that are often accused of not going to the doctor you know sucking up and, and being a man listen if, if i get a twinge i'm straight down the doctors i'm <laughs> taking no chances linda um well I, I i must admit i've worked in healthcare for 30 years so i should have known better yeah that's how bizarre this illness is. Um, the symptoms are so, so bizarre. They come and they go. How does it affect you on a day-to-day basis? At the moment, um, really quite badly. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm in, in the process of chemotherapy at the moment. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and um, I am experiencing an awful lot of um, tummy pains, um, feeling very, very unwell, um, and having no energy at all. Mm. So um, hopefully when I finish my, my course of chemotherapy, it will be put into remission. In younger people, it's more aggressive, um, but believe it or not, easier to treat, and the success is brilliant. Is that because that they're, they're generally fitter anyway, being younger? And I, I think one of the reasons is uh, in younger people, the cancer multiplies much, much quicker so they can attack it more aggressively. Isn't that interesting, right? In older people, the, the cancer multiplies more slowly, um, but carries on multiplying. So once they've killed most of the cancer cells off with chemotherapy, it very slowly starts to multiply again. How much longer have you got with the, the treatment, Linda? Um, I've got till November. Okay. Well, listen, uh, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. Uh, maybe we'll speak to you in November and see how things are going. That's very kind of you. Superb. Linda, I wish you all the best of luck. Linda Edmonds there from uh, Aylesbury, who suffers from lymphoma. Uh, for more information, go to www.lymphomas.org.uk. Lymphomas.org.uk. And if you follow us on Twitter, uh, at BBC3CR, I'm sure we'll tweet that website address uh, as well. Uh, Linda Edmonds talking about Lymphatic Cancer Awareness Week. Now, um, I'm asking about how you get your kids to sleep because my eight-month-old is not doing it. We try. We are trying the controlled crying. It's heartbreaking. I think it's harder for mums than dads. I think that the, the, the females, women, mums, have got this, a slightly different connection. I won't say it's necessarily stronger than the dad's connection with the baby. It's different. So I can sort of tolerate the crying. It's upsetting, but I can kind of tolerate it. My wife is struggling. Uh, we've got Yasin from Bedford. Good morning, Yasin. Hello, good morning. Good morning. You, uh, g- any tips? Uh, have you got kids? Um, yeah. Um, I, got, I got one eight, 18 months years old. 
boy and four years old girl. Okay. So when when we had the, when we had my four years old girl first first couple of months, of course, it's this stressful. Yeah. Because you don't know whether they're getting hot or whether they're get, getting too cold. Whilst they're sleeping, you can't get the right temperatures and things. So yeah. I was wondering what's going on with the sleeping with my daughter, but. Uh, after a month, I say, month of old, which we, my, my wife and me, we decide to try giving them baths every night. Yeah. It's obviously it's quite quite tiring thing to do every night. Come from work and give them baths and put them sleep. Yeah. But it it really did work. We, we so, hang on, so the bath because yeah, well, we give our boys baths every night. You, you, you gave the kids a bath, and that yeah. would would relax them enough that they'd fall asleep, and they would stay asleep all night. Yeah. Wow. One thing, look, couple of tricks sleep as well. Yeah. Um, if if you we try to keep we try to keep our daughter awake during the day. That's oh. very important. If you don't keep, if if they, if you let them to sleep, you be lazy basically. Yeah. Let them sleep like three hours in a day. Of course, they're not gonna sleep. At so night. no, no daytime naps. What's the other tip, Yasin? Just give them, give them. A, I will give them, and of course they have to sleep because they are kids. They are, they are, they are young. They are eight months or what? They are babies. Yeah. They had to sleep, but I, we give them like we, we let them like sleep. And I'll, and I'll, and okay, I'll, so keep, keep, yes, and I've got to move on because we're running out of time. Thank you for that. So keep the daytime naps to, naps to a minimum. Thank you very much. Oh, wait, 459 455 555. Across beds, hearts, and go. bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Catherine. I was just explaining to my next guest. I said, look, this is only day three, so if I make any mistakes, I do apologise. And then we're having a little chitty chat about how he used to work in radio. Then I made a huge mistake, you see. So there we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, I don't think they noticed. <laughs> uh, coming up in this uh, hour of the show, uh, half hour of the show, we've got plenty of stuff, including this, which I'm fascinated by. Virgin boss Richard Branson and Tim O'Toole, the chief executive of First Group, will face MPs today over the West Coast mainline franchise, which runs through hearts and bucks. Last month, the government decided to take the contract away from Virgin and give it to First. Virgin are now trying to get that decision overturned. Well, Sim Harris is the Bedfordshire-based managing editor of Rail News. Good morning, Sim. Good morning. And thank you for not laughing at my uh, terrible studio etiquette. No, it's live radio. (laughs) It's expected. Could I I just say something very quickly? Please do. No, the government did not decide to take the contract away from Virgin. It's one of those urban myths. Yes. The contract has come to an end, Mm. as contracts do. What they're not getting is another one. But nothing's been taken away. No, okay, it's funny you mention that. You're, well done for correcting me. You're absolutely right. He's, uh, I'm normally quite an admirer of Richard Branson. I think he's achieved some fantastic things. Uh, and he's a capitalist, and he supports the capitalist system. Until it doesn't work in his favour. And then he seems to be having a little hissy fit. It's, it's a system. It's a fair system. People put in bids. His didn't get accepted. That's fair. Isn't it? Or am I missing something, Sim? Is there a big, big thing that I've missed here? Well, I am Mr. Neutral on this, and I certainly ha- have no brief for Richard Branson, neither am I against him. So, But from that point of view, his argument is, it's not fair. His argument is, as I understand it, we'll hear more later today. We will certainly hear more if this gets to the High Court, as he hopes it will. Mm. What he's saying is, no, it's not fair. It's the, the evaluation of the future performance of the franchise is not realistic. And therefore, he believes, and Virgin believes, that first group have bid too much. So basically, for, for an idiot like me, he's saying that first group have said, we can make a billion pounds a year 
And there's no way they can make that. That is very broadly the contention, yes. yes. First group, of course, must be said, are saying quite the reverse. They're saying, no, our predictions of growth are quite realistic. We've looked at better ways of selling seats, but making sure that trains are better occupied. Mm. We, we do believe, we firmly believe, we've put in a bit accordingly. So what has happened here is that, is that the number two runner-up, which is Virgin having not won, is now questioning the process. Now, there's another argument which makes it even more complicated, I'm afraid. Um, Virgin um, say they've been raising this matter with the DFT for two or three years, that they've been questioning the way the DFT does this job of evaluating franchises. Right. The DFT have said, no, it was only sort of when they realised they probably weren't going to win that Virgin started saying something. Now, that's their word against virgins, virgins' word against them. We cannot know who's right. Mm. But there are all sorts of subsidiary rows going on here. Who said what when? Who made what point? And now it's all come to the boil. Mm. And there are some serious matters here. We know that the High Court is now involved. Virgin lodged papers, as the lawyers say, the day before First Group were due to have their contract signed off. Put that process on hold. That stop, that freezes that it, situation, well, doesn't it? Well, for a few days the government maintained it wouldn't, and then they said, ah, mm, yes, uh, yes it does. Okay. But that's government for you. Um, what happens now? We wait for a date for the High Court preliminary hearing. Yeah. I don't think we're going to get an instant judgment. It's a complicated matter. I can imagine the judge or judges saying we now reserve our judgment and publishing it a few weeks later. How can First Group take over on the 9th of December? You may have been reading that the West Coast Main Line, as you say, runs through three counties' territory, up through Leighton Buzzard and uh, Hemel Hempstead, Milton Keynes, mm. and all that route. That could well now be renationalised for a short time. Yes, it could. Could it really? Oh, wow. yes. There is a, there's a DFT-owned company called Directly Operated Railways. Yep. And if you go the other side of three counties' land to Hitchin or Stevenage, the, the East Coast Main Line that goes through there is indeed run by DOR, because its franchise hole, the National Express, did pull out a couple of years back. Now, that was a walking-away job. So, at the moment, we do have a nationalised main line in Britain. It may be we're going to get another one from the 9th of December, unless this is resolved very quickly... I don't see how that's to be avoided. There will be some people cheering, <laughs> cheering that there's a nationalised rail uh, possibly going back for a limited uh, period. Any idea, any clue as to which way this could go? As you say, it, it is so complicated, and it is his word against hers, and you said this, well, no, I didn't, I said this. Have we got any indication of, of what might happen? Well, if it goes to, I think, this week's evidence sessions before the Transport Committee that you've been reporting, it's Branson and O'Toole today, Virgin and First Group. Wednesday is the new Transport Secretary and his permanent secretary at the DFT. All very interesting, and we may hear a bit more, but in the end, the Transport Committee cannot actually do anything. Right. It can make recommendations, but it's a group of MPs. It can't give orders to a government department at the end of the day. Mm. However, as I wrote in an editorial in Rail News the other week, referring to the previous Transport Secretary, there is no immunity for Justin Greening in number one court. Mm. The High Court can say, you will do this again. And that, I think, is what Virgin are pressing for. They're pressing for the whole contest to be rerun. If that happens, it runs well into next year. And then we have a real problem on our hands because four other franchises are due to be let next year. And they include the first Capital Connect franchise, as it is at the moment, which is known as Thameslink, and at the end of the year, East Coast, which ought to be returning to the private sector. Frankly, with this West Coast debacle, the wheels are starting to come off. Mm. And over the next few weeks, I think we'll learn a bit more. I would imagine this is costing a few quid, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes. To prepare to turn out your pockets, Go taxpayers on. one and all. If this, and this is an if, 
if the judicial review happens and if it says the process is flawed and it tells the DFT go and do it again, quite apart from all the delays, the bidders this time round, I would imagine, would all want their bidding costs back. What's, how much is the bidding cost? Ooh, between the four in the region of 50 million. Hang on, sorry, I'm... <laughs> you pay £50 million to make a bid? Well, you don't pay 50 you pay... Virgin have paid 14 Oh, oh okay. we know well, that. That's a, a mixed oh. snip, then. Yes, but there are three other bidders. Wow. They, okay, including First yeah. Group. Yeah. And if you were SNCF, the French railway, one of whom has been bidding, and you discovered the process you'd spent arguably £10 million on was flawed and couldn't possibly work, and the courts overturned it, wouldn't you want your money back? You would want your money back. So I think that's one thing, but I think it's the least, frankly, of the DFT's problem. It raises all sorts of questions. Should they even be doing this? The franchise competitions keep running late. Yep. They keep having little extensions bolted on to try and catch up. And as for the saga of the new trains on Thameslink, mm. well, the contract was announced last June, not the one we've just had, the one in 2011, yet to be signed off. So it, very, very quickly, if you can answer quickly, does, does the, the, the whole franchise and the sealed bids and the whole system need overhauling? Is it, is it flawed? Yes, as I said, I think the wheels are coming off it now. Yeah. And one thing it might be worth saying for yes. the assurance of passengers, on the 9th of December, whichever way this one plays, and it's not yet impossible that First Group could take over. Mm. I wouldn't want to be thought I'm saying that. Yep. I'm saying it's quite likely they won't. On the 9th of December, the trains will run. All that will have happened is that the Virgin logo will have disappeared from the side of the trains. So don't worry, your train service will keep going. Just who's running it, that's the question. Sim, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in. It's a pleasure to meet you, sir. You've, you've, you've explained a very complicated story in a, in a way that even I can understand, and that's always a good sign. Nice to see you, Ian. Uh, Sim Harris is Bedfordshire-based managing editor of Rail News. No doubt we'll be following that uh, as it trundles on down the tracks. Now... Today is World Suicide Prevention Day. In the last hour, we've heard from three people across beds and hearts who have all been affected by suicide. Suicide rates in England have declined over the last ten years, according to the Department of Health. The figures show that it's middle-aged men who are at greater risk of suicide. Anna from Luton lost her son when he took his own life. A reporter, Serena Farrow, spent some time with her. I lost Joe just over two years ago. He was 31. He died by hanging. So the, the violent end. At Joe's inquest, the coroner actually recorded an open verdict rather than a straightforward suicide verdict. There is still doubts in my mind as to whether he actually intended to follow his actions through to the bitter end. I feel now that he may have been setting up a scenario that would demonstrate just how desperately unhappy he was. And I think there's a possibility that that went tragically too far. That's something we shall never know. There was still a lot of emotion, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration bottled up inside his relationship with his partner had just ended i think that was the the last straw i mean having had an anti committed suicide oh 20 years ago now you, mm. you do yeah you do there is guilt there's always that oh, guilt there dreadfully dreadfully so 
I loved him to bits and he knew I did and uh, we did have um, a very close relationship. We always did, even when he was a youngster. At the end of the day, at that particular moment, I wasn't there and that will live with me forever. But as well as being Joe's mum, I am actually a Samaritan volunteer. Part of the awfulness of it for me afterwards was that it happens as close to home as that and you are personally eyeball to eyeball with someone's suicide. The, the guilt lies in the fact that you think to yourself, you know, I've probably helped to get a lot of people through some very bad patches and then I couldn't do it for somebody as close to me as my own son. And I still live with that now. Mm. Um, it's double-edged almost, isn't it? Very much yeah. so, yes, very much so. So you yourself, I suppose, have been helped by the Samaritans now? The support from, for me from Samaritans when it happened was, was wonderful. I had a great deal of care from fellow volunteers who kept in touch pretty well on a daily basis. It's reporter Serena Farrow there speaking to Anna from Luton about the loss of her own son. And today is World Suicide Prevention Day. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's coming up to a quarter to eight. It is 7.45 now. It's Monday the 10th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Members of the British Paralympic and Olympic teams will mark the end of a summer of sport with a victory parade in London this afternoon. Cheryl Gillan, the Tory MP for Cheshire and Amersham, is vowing to use all her energy to fight HS2 now she's no longer a Cabinet member. In sport, Andy Murray will attempt to win his first Grand Slam title tonight as he plays in the US Open final. Murray faces defending champion Novak Djokovic, who won his semi-final against David Ferrer in four sets. Weather, we're in for a cloudy day with the chance of a few light showers. Top temperature, 21 degrees. And coming up, after eight, we'll be speaking to Olympic gold medal winner, Etienne Stott. BBC Three Counties Radio. Jonathan <laughs> Vernon-Smith. Weekday mornings from nine on BBC Three Counties Radio. You've got to love a bit of the javs. You've got to love the javs. I mean, you, he's coming in in uh, about half an hour or so, whenever he sees fit. You, no, no one tells him what to do. Uh, he'll be on at nine o'clock. Uh, and it's always a cracking listen. Now, you've been helping me this morning, and I appreciate it. Um, I'm a dad. I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old and an eight-month-old. And they have been away for a week, and I picked them up from uh, Gatwick Airport on Friday. Oh, I got the biggest hug in the world for my, my little two-and-a-half-year-old boy. It was wonderful. Moments like that. But then you get moments like this. Last night, we're now trying to get, get my baby to sleep, the eight-month-old. And uh, we, we tried the controlled crying last night. I say we, it was my wife. And I know she hates it, because when we did it on the eldest, she didn't like it. And I was like, we're doing it, it'll be fine. And we did it, and it was fine. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be working with the baby. And he was in a terrible state last night. So I, I, I need your help, dear listener. If you've got any help, 
08459 455. 555 is the phone number. Uh, we've got uh, Maggie Fisher on the line, who's a health visitor, and she advises people on baby sleep. Good morning, Maggie. Hello. Maggie, what are we doing wrong, please? Oh, well, it, <laughs> I hate to disappoint you, but it's not going to work overnight, in Control oh. checking. <laughs> how long does it... I mean, let me just, let me, for those who don't know, for those who aren't parents, it, l- l- this is how we've been doing it. You lay the baby down, you come out, yeah. you let them cry for five minutes, you come back in, you settle them, go out, let them cry for ten minutes, and keep building up, and supposedly they stop crying and settle themselves. That's, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, there's, there's several things there. The first thing is, um, and you're, you've just sort of said that you, your little one's been away on holiday and any change in their routine or being ill or unwell or anything can spark or trigger a, a, a sleep problem. Right. And also it's what they associate with learning to fall asleep. So if they get used to being held or rocked or whatever, then that's their sleep association. Mm. And every time they wake up, they need that to go back to sleep. So what you're trying to do with the control checking is to teach your baby to self-settle to go back to sleep on their own without disturbing you because we all wake in the night we cannot prevent babies waking in the night everybody does but it's how they go back to sleep and parents only know their babies awake in the night if they cry out and shout for them <laughs> so then you know they're they're awake but they can't get themselves back off to sleep without your intervention is there, but, any, is there are there any other techniques apart from the control cranks? It does it does seem a little bit harsh. Right. Well, the Harvard Center for the Developing Child in America have done lots of research on this, and they have now said definitively that um, control crying, if done correctly, is not harmful to a okay, child. That's good. Um, and the other thing I would say is control crying will work. Um, but you, you have to give it at least four or five nights, and sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Ooh. But within two weeks, you normally have a baby who is sleeping through. Two weeks? Well, two weeks maximum. Oh. If, say, if after two weeks it's not working, I would suggest that you, you try another tack. And for those who can't cope with control checking, because it, it is hard to do, but yeah. it's quite short, really, because, to be honest, within a week they're normally sleeping through, or okay. the behaviour's getting less. There are much um, better, well, not not better, there are other gentler methods to use. And you can't use control checking with a baby under six months, it's not safe. That's, it's, it's six months, we thought it was eight months, but six months yeah, is, is the age, okay, six yes. Six months, yeah. So, um, we, on the Netmom Sleep site, I, I work on the, um, in, in the sleep support forum, we've actually got a whole um, sleep uh, support homepage of Sleep Clinic, and on that we've got loads and loads of information about every sleep problem you could ever possibly come across and all the different sleep techniques. So uh, besides control checking, you've got the gradual retreat, which is basically um, if if your baby's got used or your child's got used to you being with them when they go to sleep, Mm. um, you you still stay with them, but you can either sit on the bed next to them or... um, sort of have a hand on their back or or whatever so you're teaching them to go to sleep without being held or rocked by you so you're with them um and you might need to have a hand on them to start off with and then once they've got used to that and they're learning to settle with that then you sit next to them or on the bed or beside the cot uh while they go to sleep and you give that four or five nights till they've got used to that and then you move your chair a little it's away from the bed. I mean, it takes a while, but you get the idea. So you, you do that for three or four nights till they've got used to that until you're a bit further away and a bit further away till you can be in the doorway. Mm. And then you can be outside, out of sight, just popping your head back every so often. Now, that does take longer, sort of possibly two to six weeks, depending on, on how well they tolerate it. Because if they start crying at any stage, you go back to the stage before. So that you do it at the child's pace. So that's the gradual um, retreat. And then you've got the pick-up 
put down, which you can safely use with the baby from three months onwards. And that's when, when the baby cries, you go in, you pick them up, and as soon as they stop crying, you put them down. Um, and again, you're not making a fuss of them, you're not talking to them, you're not kissing them, you're not having eye contact like you do with control checking. You're just going in like a robot, and you're just offering low-grade comfort, really, or attention. And then as soon as they stop crying, you put them down and walk out. And you do that as often as it takes. Now, you do need a strong back for that. Oh, it does hurt. And then there's the kissing game, which is a version of... Um, gradual retreat really i suppose really where you keep kissing the child and they move away kissing the child move away and that that can take a long time but again if it's done properly it'll work it it does work and we've got a whole all of these are explained in a step-by-step guide on the netmums website maggie listen thank you so much maggie uh, fisher there who's a health visitor uh, helping out with my child's sleep and of course you can go to that website and have a little look at that as well if you're a parent you'll know exactly where i'm coming from (laughs) You'll know exactly where I'm coming from. Thank you very much, Maggie. The HS2 train line is uh, a terrible idea. That's according to former Welsh Secretary and MP for Chesham and Amersham, uh, Cheryl Gillan, who lost her Cabinet job in the reshuffle last week. She says that now she's free to speak out against the High Speed 2 rail line, which is planned to pass through her constituency. She's on the line now. Good morning, Cheryl. Oh, good morning, Ian. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm tired, but I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> I was thinking that maybe the solution for, for your children was to pay some of the political speeches I've had to listen to over the years. That, that would send be, your children straight that to That might speech. be a way. Now, listen, Cheryl, you're, you're coming out and saying this is a terrible idea. Is this just because you've lost your job in the cabinet and and it it smacks a little of sour grapes no well i think um uh that is absolutely quite the reverse um when this was first announced by the last labor government i was straight in there to the department for transport to tell them what a terrible idea it was and indeed the advantage of being in cabinet for the past two and a half years has meant that i've had direct access to um, both uh secretaries of state for transport and i think it's no great secret my views of this project right from the beginning and they continue today the real difference is is that um instead of uh, doing it uh, uh, behind the scenes um and directly i can now come out of the woodwork and i think that that's very comforting to a lot of my constituents who perhaps have not always been able to see visibly what i've been doing um against this project and from it's the great, start. Cheryl, it's great you have come out and it's fantastic yeah. it, it, for those who, who think it is a bad idea but there will be some people possibly your constituents saying well, hang on a minute. Why didn't you come out when you were in a power of greater authority? Well, I did come out, but there's a thing called cabinet collective responsibility. But the key thing is, is that uh, this project, um, this is not about me. This is about this project. And this is about what this project will do and what it will, the effect it will have. And quite frankly, I think it's an a project which is not even conservative, as I've said before. Um, Conservatives believe in getting good value for money. This project is not good value for money. And Conservatives believe in protecting the environment. Um, And this certainly will not protect the environment, although I've had some good wins in the past, particularly with some of the extra tunnelling. However, the basic problem is, is that we have a real economic uh, crisis on our hands still. And there is going to be no payback from this uh, scheme, uh, not for for decades to come. And I think this money can be spent by the government better um, on other alternatives. 
Uh, so I will do my best to join all those that have been fighting publicly because even though they've been shouting loudly and out in public, they've not managed to stop the scheme. Um, but I will lend my weight to them. And you mentioned the sorry, Stop the scheme, Ian. Yes. We've got to get the best possible okay. deal, which has always been um, the fallback position which I felt was sensible to adopt. You mentioned the, the, the government being uh, an environmentally friendly group. Haven't they just announced that it's going to be easier to build on Greenbelt land? Well, that's the other thing. Um, I've told the Prime Minister that uh, um, I um, have uh, always believed in protecting our environment. We have an AONB in the Chilterns. It's one of the most beautiful parts of the country. It's a fragile landscape. And uh, I intend to speak up on the environment uh, for my constituency uh, and all attacks on it from whatever quarters they come. I'm sorry to dwell on this, Rob, but this does, this, this does fascinate me slightly. It, it does seem um, uh, disappointing that in modern politics there are very few uh, people that w- will speak out against the party line. Uh, and does it not strike you as, uh, as being a bit hypocritical to, to disagree with something but not come out in public and say, I disagree with this? Well, I think that you've got to understand the way government works. Um, And also, um, don't make any mistake, I'm a loyal Conservative. I'm not uh, against my party, quite the reverse. Um, I I wish this government well. Um, I will always be a loyal Conservative and will continue to be so. Um, But the pressures of government do mean that if you have Cabinet collective responsibility, quite rightly, those people that are in ministerial office um, do not come out openly against government policy. Um, However... And is that right? Do you see that's the case? But, yes, and behind the corridors, however, though I can assure you um, that there was, uh, there has never been any mistake. And to be truthful in the press, um, every time HS2 and my name has been associated, it has uh, been quite clear that I am not approving of the project. Uh, but I think you do have to observe those rules of government. Uh, I think that applies to all governments uh, of whatever political complexion. Cheryl, listen, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, Cheryl Gillen, uh, who uh, um, is the MP for Chesham and Amersham, expressing her views on uh, HS2, the proposed rail link. Um, and uh, it's, I, just, I just do think it's interesting that, that this, this towing the party line is, um, is a common thread. And that, does that concern you? That there are people in power who, who may disagree with things that are being done by the party... But they go along with them because of this collective consciousness. Surely that's the only way policies and ideals can be changed from within, isn't it? If someone high-ranking within the party says, hang on a second, I don't agree with this, whatever it may be, and I'm going to come out and challenge this, it's debate, isn't it? That's what it's all about. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. Um, maybe I'm, uh, you know, I'm using my sixth form politics uh, argument and, and uh, who knows? 08459 455 555. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Got some interesting texts on babies crying. Ricky and Luton, really? I'll read it out in a second. His parents employed some very odd techniques. All of that and more after latest news with Catherine Boyle. BBC Three Counties Radio here until nine o'clock. Still plenty in the last hour, including London 2012 may be over, but there's going to be an amazing parade through London today. We've got a gold winner, gold medal winner coming on the show. Superb. Today is World Suicide Prevention Day. We'll be speaking about that. And also, I've got all of your texts about how to get my baby to sleep. 
including, I, I, I miscredited, it wasn't Ricky and Luton, it was Andrew and Royston who's got some odd techniques. We'll talk about that in a little bit. BBC Three Counties Radio. Ah, now, it's like he's doing, ah, like an old man. I'm, I am an old man. Uh, the greatest Paralympic Games ever. Those are the words of Sir Philip Craven, the International Paralympic Committee President. London 2012 came to an end last night with a spectacular closing ceremony for the Paralympics. But it's not completely over. Today, 700 athletes will take part in a parade to celebrate their success at London 2012, including three counties athletes like Greg Rutherford, Victoria Pendleton, Laura Trott and Etienne Stott. He won gold at the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre and he's on the line now. Good morning, Etienne. Good morning. What does today mean to you? Sorry, say that again. <laughs> Have you been <laughs> celebrating already? Oh, no, no, no. I was just slightly distracted. A little police dog was searching one of the floats, so I wanted a little photo of him for my girlfriend. <laughs> Does your girlfriend like police dogs, then? Oh, just those nice little dogs. They're looking around. Oh, you know, they're just nice little beasts, aren't they? <laughs> what, do- <laughs> what does today mean to you, Etienne? Oh, you know, I tell you what, I'm getting really excited. I think it's going to be one of the, the highlights of the Olympics, I think, for me. I think it's going to be just immense going on these floats with all the athletes. I'm hoping there's going to be a big crowd and it doesn't rain. I think it could be just one of those real special moments of the whole business. It, hey, listen, man, there's going to be a huge crowd. You know, people are gathering already. It's going to be a massive, massive day. Has it sunk in yet? What uh, you've achieved and what really, you've been no. no, it hasn't, no. I mean, it, it, it's kind of weird. I'm getting used to being regarded as the Olympic champion, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I don't sort of feel it in myself in many ways, and that's, it's really nice, but it is still quite strange. I can't really explain it very well. Now, we, as, as an outsider, we kind of think of the uh, Olympics as a whole entity and that you're all hanging out with, like, Chris Hoy and Seb Coe <laughs> and stuff like that. Have you spent much time with the rest of Team GB yet? Um, here and there. I mean, for example, on Sunday, we were with Andrew Triggs-Hodge, the uh, rowing gold medalist, doing the Ecovair Blue Mile in Plymouth. Yeah. Doing a sort of a WWF charity thing, so we stand around here and we've seen a bit of Greg Rutherford and a few other people here and there. But no, frankly, we're kind of mostly doing our own thing. But this is the first time where everyone will be together since the Olympics, and it's exciting as well because also the Paralympians uh, are going to be joining you today. And I think that's been the huge surprise that that's been such an amazing success. And I went to that and had a fantastic day. What what have you made? Have you caught much of the Paralympics? Oh yeah, I have. I watched quite a bit of it in the evening. Not not so much the last couple of days, but I've had a I watched, you know, I really enjoyed the wheelchair basketball, actually. That was really cool. And I watched the di- uh, the swimming one night in the aquatic centre. We watched the wheelchair basketball. It's so vicious. They just oh, keep I mean, ramming into each other. Well, it was this really technical. I really enjoyed, you know, the skills and the different abilities of the different players. Yeah. It was really, really good. How has um, your life changed, Etienne? since winning oh, I mean, gold. <laughs> it's got incredibly busy there's no doubt about that I mean we're, we're not training right now it'd be impossible to sustain a training effort and do all the stuff that we've been doing you know email and everything sorting everything out it's been very very exciting and very yeah. busy but it's been very very cool as well you know very very cool of course it's been cool hey listen man if you achieve nothing else in your life which you will if you don't you say yeah I want a gold medal what have you done <laughs> oh well Etienne, I hope to do other good things but you know yeah, a gold gonna... medal at your home Olympics is very yeah. very special Etienne, uh, it's just amazing there's going to be plenty of good things thank you so much for coming on Re- enjoy your day mate it's, it's, oh, it's wonderful pleasure. thank you very much Ian. Et- Etienne Stott there he won gold at the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre what a nice bloke he's taking pictures of police dogs for his girlfriend because she likes them. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, also, Greg Rutherford is going to be there today. He won gold in the long jump. And we've got his dad, Andy, on the line. Hello, Andy. 
Good morning. How are you feeling this morning? You're right. Oh, I'm not too bad, thank you. It's, it's been back to work for me for a couple of weeks, so it's normality for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I, think, I suppose so. For the dads, it's, you know, they can have their moment of glory, but are you bunking off today to go to the parade? Unfortunately, I, I'm not able to do that. My <sighs> workload, because the Olympics, my workload is built up so much, but my wife and daughter are both going up and they're going to enjoy it. Oh, that's something. Oh, you must You must be gutted, mate. I am gutted, yeah, yeah. It's just that we, I, I took a bit of extra time over the Olympic statement. I'll have to catch up now, so it's been a bit more awkward. Well, OK, well, this is the thing. I wasn't going to ask this, but wh- so you, wh- when you went back to work after your boy had won a gold medal, what did everyone yeah. say? Um, I don't think anyone could really believe it. I mean, I, I'm actually a self-employed builder and I have sort of my own customers. Right. And I, I was going to the houses and they were looking at me in a different light. It's sort of like <laughs> this guy that comes to build our walls. It's just, it shouldn't be him that has it happened, you know. But uh, no, it was, it was a very positive response all round, really. I mean, everyone was over the moon for us. I'm, hope, I'm hoping, and I know this gets against low co- goes against low-cost policy, but I'm hoping you've put the Olympic rings on the side of your van and said, I'm, a, I'm a, <laughs> the father of a gold medal winning athlete. That'll bump I up the price. A bit yeah, I haven't actually got around to that yet, but um, I think it's going to be a good idea, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to live up to, though. My quality of work has got to really <laughs> live up to a gold medal. Are, are you gold medal, Andy, or are you silver or bronze? Whereabouts are you? Uh, well, I think I'm gold, Good but I'll let everybody else make that decision for you. But we were speaking to Laura Stotstad earlier on, and, and, and I'm a dad. I've got two little boys. They're tiny at the moment, but it, it, just the, the feeling of pride I get when they do anything, uh, you know, but when they, yeah. they use the toilet properly is, is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing yeah. your boy it, win a gold medal, can you describe how that felt? It, it was absolutely incredible. I, I, well, I can't really. I mean, the, the, I suppose the nearest thing to it is maybe watching your wife give birth and, you know, you see your child come into the world. It's sort of yeah. that ecstatic feeling of, of sort of a major achievement. Um, and, and in fact, so I hadn't really watched Greg back until this last weekend. I watched him yesterday and it really brought, brought a massive lump to my throat Brilliant. watching him. You know, it's, it's, the, the emotion is still all there. Did you, when he said to you, Dad, I'm going to become a long jumper. That's what I want to do. Did you say, come on, get some sense in your son. Come and join the business. How did you react? Um, to start, to be quite honest with you, um, I would have always loved to be a sportsman myself, and for whatever reason, it didn't work out for me. So when Greg sort of went down the route of sport, then obviously I was, I was fully behind him right from the start. So I haven't exactly pushed him, but I've encouraged him as much as I can. And, you know, when you see a result like this, it makes it also worthwhile, because there's, there's plenty of people that try very hard and, and never actually get there for whatever reason. So it, it really is gratifying from our point of view to see him succeed. Now, putting the fact you're his dad to one side, Andy... Did you yep. genuinely think he had the chance of winning a gold medal? Uh, yes. I, I, I will say yes, yeah. simply because I have seen the amount of work and the progress that he's made. Mm. Um, and particularly, he's tried everything he can in order to improve. And the new coach that UK Athletics brought in really did you know, bring him on leaps and bounds, literally. Literally, um, yes. Well we prepared to... Yeah, was prepared to change technique and work with him and just fine tweak things because at that level it's only a, a little difference to make you know the, the difference between winning and losing and um, that's what they've done for Greg and you know I, I really appreciate that as well it's been great and finally is, is Greg any, any good at plastering can he can he build a wall just in case it all goes pear shaped <laughs> is, is there a space for him in the business uh, it, it, he's, he's not brilliant he, he has done a little bit of plastering um, he's but brilliant. he's in his early stages, I would say, yeah. <laughs> not even quite bronze yet. <laughs> well, that's honestly... Andy, listen, congratulations. You must be over the moon. It's a shame you can't go, but love to the wife and the, and the daughter, and I'm sure they'll have an amazing day. 
How cool is that? Isn't that exciting? That's uh, Andy Rutherford, who's uh, Greg Rutherford's dad, who won a gold in the long jump. Not a very good plasterer, apparently. Greg, he, he could do with a little bit more practice, a little bit more work. But um, you're going to the parade today. You're going to go and have a little look. That's terrible that he can't, he can't get any time off work. Oh, dear. Silly, this is boy. He'll be, he'll be proud. Now, you've been texting in your um, uh, solutions or tips for getting babies to sleep. Now, the one I mentioned, Andrew Royston... Okay, the first thing. When I was a baby, my mum used to drive me in the car to send me off to sleep. We did that with the first one. We did that when we were really, really desperate. At three o'clock in the morning, I have driven uh, my eldest around in the car and it would send him to sleep. But then you're, as the the expert said earlier on, you're then getting him into the habit that he he can only fall asleep if he's in the car. And here's here's one. This is, uh, uh, Andrew carries on. When I was teething, they used to put me in the sink and paddle in the water or put my hands in the water, and then I stop crying. It's not particularly practical, Andrew. It's not going to work all the time. Is it, here's a question. Is it true that if someone's asleep and then you put their hand in a bucket of water, they wet themselves? Is that true? Or is, is that just from American comedies from the 80s? Is that a fact? We'll conduct some experiments. As well as finding Dion <laughs> from Dion and the Belmonts, Belmonts we're going to conduct experiments into putting uh, sleeping people's hands into bucket, buckets of water. Ray suggests I read The Baby Whisperer. If you've just tuned in, I wonder what we're talking about. I'm, I, I've got an eight-month-old baby. And uh, sleep. Yeah. Struggling to get him to sleep and to sleep through the night. And my wife, bless her heart, did the controlled crying last night. Could take up to two weeks for that to work. And just wondering if there are any other tips or techniques. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Ricky and Luton says to get your baby at s- to sleep at night, he needs to be knackered. Let him play until late afternoon, cutting out the two till four sleep. You'll have a blissful night. It works with the older boy. We took him to a little fate yesterday in North London, and he was flinging himself around on the bouncy castle. He was riding track. He was having the time of his life. Little boogie to the bands. Didn't have a, a, a daytime nap, and he he slept well last night. He was asleep by half past six. I know. We had a few tears and tantrums before bed, but once he got into bed, he was he was asleep by half past six. So um, that's an idea. And Vic also says we used to drive our babies around the block in the middle of the night in the car. Always worked. It does send them to sleep, Vic. But uh, you know, I can't really be getting up at one o'clock in the morning to drive the kids around. I want them to sleep. Like normal people. Is is that too much to ask? It's 8.15. These are your headlines on Monday the 10th of September on BBC Three Counties Radio. Members of the British Paralympic and Olympic teams will mark the end of a summer of sport with a victory parade in London this afternoon. Chesham and Amersham MP Cheryl Gillam is vowing to redouble her efforts to fight HS2 now she's no longer a cabinet minister. In sport, Andy Murray will attempt to win his first Grand Slam title tonight as he plays in the US Open final. Murray faces defending champion Novak Djokovic, who won his semi-final against David Ferrer in four sets. Weather coming up in a minute with Steve Weston and also on the show today. Today is World Suicide Prevention Day, with aims at, which aims at raising awareness of those most at risk. After 8.30, we'll be speaking to a mother in St Albans who lost her son three years ago when he took his own life. BBC Three Counties Radio. I've got jubs in the studio. <laughs> it just saves time. It's less. I knew that. J V S. Just yeah. three syllables. It's true. Jubs. How are Jibs. you this morning? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? V- lovely. Your your hair's getting long, isn't it? <laughs> it is long today, isn't it? What yes. happened? You're, did you ever watch Glee? 
I didn't. Surprisingly, no, I missed Glee. Your yes. hair's looking a little bit like uh, Mr. Shoe. <laughs> it's a reference I'm, lost on I'm you. I'm taking it. That's a good thing. <laughs> yes. I think it's a good thing. It's a lovely thing. You asked what I did at the weekend, and without going into too much detail, my weekend was wonderful with the kids, oh. and on Friday night, I had the most surreal experience. It was a job. I walked into a room. There in the room was Rusty Lee and Dave Benson Phillips, the children's entertainer. I saw you tweeting about this. And they were teaching me to sing a song from Bugsy Malone. Now, that kind of stuff doesn't happen every day. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's was that mo- funny? Do, you know Rusty Lee, she once, uh, she did a show here. Did she? I didn't know. <laughs> that we're related distantly are you really not in the slightest no oh no <laughs> she's bonkers but wonderful yes the the listeners to three counties radio will never forget the week that rusty stood in the week i can see you, you're glancing at your script that means you want to move on I no, apologi- no no i apologize Jibs. we were chatting too much i can take a hint the eyes have it let's let's see what you've got on your show <laughs> no i was genuinely enjoying yes. our chat it doesn't matter it's fine i like to think we're friends but it turns no, out we are we are. Mm. We, we are i was just trying to remember the question i'm asking on the phone in. let's listen and see if it's worthwhile uh let's see we've worked very hard long and hard on this one this morning have the paralympics made you look at disability differently do you like that? I do like that. That's an excellent question. question. An excellent question, yes. Uh, after the closing ceremony of the Paralympics last night, later today there's a victory parade for British Olympians and Paralympians through the streets of London. Thousands of people are expected to lie in the streets. Organisers had always hoped that these games would change the way some people feel about disability, and there's no doubt the competition has been amazing. No, no doubt about that at all. Well, from nine this morning, I'm asking, have the Paralympics made you look at disability differently? I'd love to hear from you. If you are disabled yourself, has it made you look at your own disability differently? Has it made you look at the way other people look at you, if that makes sense? And if you are, uh, perhaps you have someone in your family who's disabled, or you work with someone who's disabled, has it made you look at what they may be capable of differently? Mm. I wonder as well whether, for some disabled people, it's actually been quite frustrating. Because, yes, okay, if you if you are disabled but you are able to do something mm. despite your disability, then that's incredible. But for some people, their disability is something that they can't, you know, it, it may be something that gets worse every single day. Yep. And they can't just jump in a swimming pool and swim to the other side. It's not that simple. And perhaps they may feel that society is now looking at them as if they are in some way a failure. Saying, so why, why aren't you doing that? Why exactly. Aren't why aren't you climbing a, a mountain? But then the same applies to able-bodied people. I'm never quite sure what the right term is to use. Is that people are probably looking at you and I, Jibs, and saying, well, why aren't you running a marathon? Why aren't you swimming, you know, doing a triathlon? Why aren't you doing a triathlon, by the way? <laughs> Because I can't be bothered. Exactly. So, <laughs> so, on the big phone in this morning, have the Paralympics made you look at disability differently? I'd love to hear your views, your thoughts and your experiences, please. Should be a good listener. Who do I look like from uh, Mr Buggles? Oh, no. He's very handsome. From Mr. Glee? Mr Shoe. I'm going to Google him during um, during a little break, <laughs> and uh, I will we'll find out. Mr Shoe. You're going to come upstairs and beat me. <laughs> I may well do that, yes. I'll give you a good wrench. Thank you very much. Right, it's time to get the latest weather now. <laughs> oh, man. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. There we go. <laughs> Every time we get a guest in, I say, listen, it's my third day. I'm, I might do some technical uh, m- mistakes, and of course I do.
Uh, now, a campaign has been launched today by the Lymphoma Association to mark the start of Lymphatic Cancer Awareness Week. This little-known but common form of cancer is more likely to strike young people than any other form of the disease. Trevor Lynch from Buckinghamshire uh, suffers... Well, you say suffers from lymphoma. You're in remission now, aren't you? I am in remission. So do we still say suffers? How does... What's the terminology? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, um, the version that I have, it, it's, it's a mouthful. It's follicular, low-grade, non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Right. Um, it, it goes into remission, but how long it stays in remission, they can't tell you. Okay. I've heard of people who have been in remission for 20 years. Wow. Other people, 20 weeks, 20 months. It varies. Right. So I'm enjoying it as I can. I'm enjoying the remission um, and, you know, feeling better than I have done in a long, long time, which is great news. We'll, we'll, we'll speak more about the remission in a minute. Okay. How did you first discover that you had this? What, what, yeah. what, was, what were your first symptoms? Like you mentioned earlier, or one of your callers, I, can't, I think I ignored symptoms mm. i'm a typical guy i just don't go to the doctor but last october or so i i had a rash come around my face around my nose and forehead mm. and it started to spread up into my scalp and roughly at the same time i'd noticed that i had some lumps on my neck that were becoming more prominent so i went to the doctor in november finally got around to going and i hadn't put the two items together and neither had he so he gave me cream for my um my rash on my face and as I was walking out I'd almost forgotten I turned around and said oh by the way should I worry about these lumps and he goes yes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, maybe a little bit yes of course so uh, x-rays biopsies Um, two months later by January I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin isn't it interesting that you 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 mentioned the rash on your nose Mm -hmm. But you didn't. You almost didn't mention the lumps, yeah. which w- would most people go. Well, that's surely the more serious. Yeah. So it's just. Uh, yeah. I look back now and I think, what what was I doing? Mm. In fact, I remember that probably two years previously, lumps had come up just below my ears. Right. Um, glands that come up when you get a virus or whatever. Mm. And um, I ignored it. Did nothing about it because I was feeling generally well. I wasn't yeah. feeling tired or anything. So I, I ignored it. And actually, they they never went away. And I ignored them. And then more came up. This type of cancer, this lymphoma cancer, what is it exactly? For those who have got no idea, what does it mean? It means that there's um, lymphocytes, certain white blood cells that um, don't die when they should. Mm. And therefore they're not cleared out and your body's producing more. And over time they start to clog up your lymphatic system. So that's the version that I have. And that's why the lumps form. Right. They they just clog up inside in your lymph nodes. Um, and by the time I was diagnosed, it had um, progressed to stage four, which is the furthest stage. Right. So it was, it was in all my lymph nodes, both sides of my diaphragm. It was in my spleen, my liver, my bone marrow, and in my skin. That was the rash that was eventually coming through. So it was quite well progressed. So you could have died? Uh, I don't think so. Right. It, it's, it's very slow growing. If, if I'd left it forever, it probably would have compromised my immune system. Right. And I could have died of pneumonia or whatever. Right. Um, but it, it responds very, very well to, um, to treatment. And, and had I been diagnosed when I first originally, originally spotted the lumps, I might have been just been put on a watch and wait mm. routine. Wait for it to progress so bad that your quality of life is starting to get affected, then you'd go on chemotherapy. And I'm not sure what that would have been like. So I was diagnosed. They said, crikey, you're at stage four. Uh, we better get you on chemo. <laughs> when they say that to you, how do you react? Yeah, it was very surreal. Almost out of the body, like I remember sitting there. I went to the doctor that morning. She was going to go through the results of a CT scan that I had, and my wife was there. Should I go with you or not? But I just didn't think I was sick. I felt so good that morning. I'd just been out for a run, and uh, I said, "No, it's going to be okay. I'll go." And then she got a call two hours later saying, uh, "Maybe you better come over after all." So it, w- it was surreal, but I just wanted to get down to okay. I've got this now. What are we going to do about it? Yeah, straight away. 
Did, did and, and and that was your attitude immediately, wasn't it? Right, okay, yeah, now, now where do I go? It. Yes, yeah. Um, and so straight away we agreed, um, the following Thursday, I would start going on my chemo routine. Mm. So every three weeks on a Thursday, I would um, go in for chemotherapy. Um, I'd also agreed earlier on that um, I was going to continue working. Right. Uh, and I was going to play it by ear, but I was just going to continue working unless I was really, really bad. And I was going to continue running. So I went in for chemo on a Thursday. By Sunday, I went for a light jog. And I was surprised that after that, I felt much better than I had f- thanks to really? any of the drugs that the doctors gave me. Yeah, The nausea lifted for, for some time for, for the rest of that. And you weren't exhausted after the chemo? No. You, you yeah, had the energy well, to... On the day itself, you're, you're tired. The rest of that weekend, you're, you're kind of ginger. You're taking it easy. I didn't go for a killer run. It was just, you know, get the heart beating, go out yeah. for three or four miles. Um, it was really good. And that was my, the motto of, of the rest of my chemo. Keep running, keep working and trying to stay f- as positive uh, as I could. Throughout. How long did the, the treatment last for? Uh, it was six, so every three weeks for six months. For six months? Yeah. And you're clear now? You're, you're in I'm remission? I'm in remission. The last CT scan I had um, a couple of months ago, they couldn't find anything at all, Fantastic. so I was delighted. Congratulations. That, yeah, that must much. have been a... It, it's, it's a relief. It's great. And um, it's, 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 it's a funny thing to say, but, but the whole experience has given me a new lease on life. I, I, I feel much more energetic now than I have, and, mm. and more fit than I've been in a long long time run a half marathon last weekend my my whole work-life balance is is a lot better because i think you know you have this kind of a scare it makes you think about what you do with your life isn't that interesting i've heard people say that before who've been seriously ill and come out the other side and they just said well i've got i've got everything in perspective i know how much time i want to work i know how much time i want to spend with my family how much time i want to you know enjoy my life and it switches quite dramatically so even the little things such as when you get home in the evening do you flop on the couch and watch telly and shush your kids because you can't hear the television or do you actually make use of of whatever nice weather we've had and get out into the garden or or take my daughter for a coffee or whatever so it just makes you think in in terms like that uh what are there common things that people should be looking for at home yeah uh, in terms of if you if you have yeah. k- lymphoma or not yeah so so the things that i ignored the painless lumps so you, if you see some lumps on your neck or in under your armpit or whatever it, it's probably worth getting them checked out i felt bloated for quite some time that was probably a symptom i had for mm. a year that i ignored i put it down to my diet mm. um it was all part of it um towards the end i started to wake up at night sweating mm. um yes, we heard that earlier about the night sweats yeah and and unexplained fevers. I remember at work getting a fan put in because I was feeling quite hot at work and I'd have hot flushes. Um, I've never had them since mm. since I've had the treatment. Uh, weight loss. That's one of the good parts, I think, of of, of what I caused. <laughs> I'm, I'm a stone lighter than I was this time last year, um, which helps with all the running that I do as well. Tiredness. Now, I'm like you. At the time when I was diagnosed, I had uh, what I do my son. He's two now. But around about the time this started to kick in, he was eight months old. I was very so you're busy always tired anyway. You've got, you got a job, so you've you got a baby. You're exactly. always tired. Yeah, so I just didn't think anything. I just said, oh, it's down to, to my life. But um, looking back at it now, I do think I was, mm. I was tired as a result of the lymphoma. And then, uh, you know, the rash on my face, itching, cough, breathless, breathlessness, anything like that. Yeah. It's probably worth just, just asking your doctor. Yeah. Trevor, listen, congratulations on uh, being in remission. And you, you go for a checkup every two months. Every two months, yeah. Well, uh, uh, my thoughts are with you. I'm, I'm sure it'll be much. fine. And well done. Thank you so much for coming Thank in. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Superb. There we go. That's uh, uh, Trevor Lynch, who's from Buckinghamshire and uh, suffers, had suffered. He's in remission uh, from lymphoma. Fascinating. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio.
It's been a busy morning uh, and plenty more to come in the last half hour, including controlled crying, um, uh, talking more about the Paralympics and the Olympics and that parade today. But first of all, today is World Suicide Prevention Day, as we've been mentioning, and it's to raise awareness of those most at risk and the impact the tragedy can leave on those left behind. All this morning we've been listening to how people across beds, hearts and bucks have been affected by suicide. Well, our next uh, uh, guest is Karen. She's a mother in St Albans whose son took his own life three years ago. She's on the line now. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Ian. I feel uncomfortable asking you about these questions and if I ask anything that is inappropriate, please tell me, won't you? And I will will back away. I don't want to cause any upset. But could you tell us what happened with your son? Yes, it's it's quite a long story, really, but Mm. to keep it brief, um, Jason was 22 years old. He was a perfectly healthy, normal young man, um, full of life, had lots of, you know, interests, um, worked hard, had no real problems at all. Um, He had a good sense of humour, really enjoyed life, um, and very suddenly he... Um, seemed to get quite distressed and upset, came to me um, where I lived in my flat um, and he used to come and stay with me a couple of days a week anyway. Um, Seemed very distressed, didn't really want to talk about it, wanted a fresh start, just seemed to be really upset. Um, Couldn't really get to the bottom of it, Um, but he seemed fine. He stayed with me for three or four days. And it was the May bank holiday in 2009. Um, And he just uh, got up one morning and then I was in the middle of talking to him and he collapsed. Um, And basically called the ambulance and there's been a a whole series of events that happened. But basically he had a a psychotic attack. Um, We can't really be sure what brought it on. um, But he... um, basically went into sort of a a strange mode he didn't recognize me um and he ran off from the hospital they did lots of tests and during the test he ran off uh the police were called um they found him and brought him back he was there for the rest of the day having various tests done um and at about half past seven in the evening they said they were going to keep him in under observation they said go home karen have a rest we'll look after him and come back in the morning within about half hour three quarters of an hour of me leaving i had a phone call saying that he'd decided to go home he wanted to come home and he'd left um what then ensued was us rushing back to the hospital to try and find him because obviously it was on a saturday night he was walking home had no money just his t-shirt and jeans um and we never found him um and he was missing for four days um and they then found him in the hospital he had gone left the ward but gone back come back in and gone up to the third floor and he had taken his own life now this is a obviously a huge shock um but you know it's taken me three years Mm -hmm. to sort of get to the bottom of it and it's been like piecing a puzzle together as to why a, a lovely healthy young man would suddenly commit suicide and have you got any answers, Karen? Have you come any closer to working out why he would have done that? Yes, I mean, there's, there's, um, there was a, a, some family issues that I didn't know about with his father, mm. um, which inevitably was, was the reason, in my opinion, and he kept it to himself and 
um, he, he was very distressed by it um, and I think it just got too much for him and he didn't know which way to turn um, and it, it just it just hit him very hard very quickly um, uh, and basically yeah, I just I just think whether he went into another psychotic attack, um, wh- whether he went into and he wasn't himself, because he was no way at all depressed or suicidal mm. at all. It was clearly stresses and strain had got to him. Karen, I just, just have to say, and I'm just sorry to interrupt, I just have to say for legal reasons that we haven't got Jason's dad on the line and uh, he may paint a different picture and th- these are yeah, all opinions. I don't want to point the finger at anyone. No, not at all, like that. but there were... I'm going to ask you a question that you may not be able to answer. How did you feel when you found out that he'd taken his own life? Well, just utterly shocked. Um, it, it was it really i think even now it's um i still really i'm still probably in shock because mm-hmm. for the past three three and a half years um i've been sort of in a in a bit of a battle to get to the bottom of various it's, it's been quite a well publicized mm-hmm. case with um um you know failings of the hospital mm. and, and the police and you've done stories on on jason um and really i think um how i felt that day was just utter shock and and really just trying to find out why if i would ever find out why um this would suddenly happen to you know a seemingly person perfectly happy young man um obviously you know whatever caused him to i'm not wanting to point the finger no, but no, you, you asked me what you what yep, i think caused I it and that. that's my yeah. a personal opinion and, and i've had expert opinion on it as well but it may not have been in all fairness um and it's really i've done sort of quite a bit of work with hearts mind network to make more people aware that there is help out there jason obviously kept it to himself kept it bottled up and it it really is not the way forward if you're experiencing any kind of stress whether it be work related school related personal pressures it's always always best to talk about it and to seek help karen Um, thank you listen we have to move on and it's always I always feel uncomfortable moving on from these things, but we, of course, are restricted by time. Karen, thank you so much for coming on and, and speaking so honestly. That's Karen, uh, whose son Jason took his own life three years ago. And I, I do just have to say, just to cover everyone's backside, that, uh, that, that, that opinions were expressed in there and we haven't got to the, the other parties to put forward their sides of the story. It's coming up to 8.40. It's Monday, the 10th of September, and Dragon's Den is back on telly. I love Dragon's Den. I genuinely love it. For a long time, and I will say this, Duncan Bannatyne was, was my, gay, my gay choice. Totally, he was. Uh, until this series. Have you seen... Have you seen... Did you see it last night? What's he done? He's got hair. I was about to say, what's he done to his hair? Well, he's got hair when before he had no hair. He looks like Ray Reardon. Anyway, I saw a bit of last night. So I saw the M because I knew these, these uh, guys uh, were coming on. Uh, Peter Jones, um, who lives in Buckinghamshire, invested in three young entrepreneurs who were the first successful candidates of the series. Uh, brother James, brothers James and Richard Gold were two of the candidates, and they're on the line now. Good morning, chaps. Good morning. Good morning. Have you noticed Duncan Bannatyne's sudden thick hair on his head? That's the first thing we actually thought when we went into the den. We couldn't understand it. <laughs> I, was, I, I, I knew you were coming on. I, I taped it and I, I forwarded it to, to your bit. And I watched it. I thought, there's something very different about... Di- He's got thick hair! <laughs> Bless him. Uh, d- describe your business, chaps. What is it? 
Well, skinny dips a brand of uh, headphones, speakers, phone cases for iPhone, iPad, Kindle, and really what it is is taking kind of tech product and making it a little bit more fun and fashionable and creative, making it, um, you know, selling it into different places to where tech products have been sold before, uh, taking it to the high street fashion retailers, um, which nobody had done before. All of the dragons were having a sniff last night. Why do you think they liked you so much? Um, I don't, I don't really know. I, I think that we, you know, Skinny Dip it was already, you know, quite an established, uh, not, not really established, but we were in quite a few uh, retailers. Um, and I think they recognised the potential, really. At the same time, you know, we went on there and we were just over the moon to even try and to, to get one offer for us would have was like hitting the football pools and to have the reaction that we had in there was just overwhelming and, and unbelievable and we would never have expected it in a million years why did you go with peter because didn't deborah give you a, a better offer she did i think when it's really difficult because you're kind of, it's the most surreal thing in the world being on that show it's like walking straight into your television set yeah um, i bet and you go, we, you know, we, we went to the back of the room and we were, had these three offers and, like I said, we were just hoping to get one at the very least and to make a decision there and then. Um, the reason we went with Peter is that he was in the industry, he's been in the industry, he, he knows our industry. Um, and, you know, I think, we, I think we made the right choice. At the same time, both Deborah and Theo were absolutely lovely to us and it would have been a pleasure to work with either of them too. How tall is Peter Jones? He's like uh, the tallest man in the world, isn't he? He's a real. He's actually a giant, and his hands are enormous. <laughs> as well, <but> <laughs> That's why you picked him. Really that, it all, I love it when he stands up because he and, and goes to shake <laughs> the hand of the, the winners because I he's was just, just intimidated. What so, you don't realise is we're each six foot five. <laughs> <laughs> so he's over seven foot. James, was it you who was mouthing the pitch? Um, do you know what? I, it was me that was mouthing the pitch. I, it's the most horrible habit that I've now had to share on national TV. It's been on wedding videos where only a few people have watched it. For those, who, let me just explain, for those who didn't see it yet, it, it was, it was, the pitch was going on, Richard and the other fellow were doing the pitch, and you were silently mouthing all of their words as they were doing it. It was wonderful. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. And the worst thing is, the day before we went on, our parents came in to listen to our pitch, and they were listening, and my mother turns to me, and she goes, whatever you do, don't you dare mind when you're on television. And I said, I promise you I won't. And we went on there. And I remember during the pitch, I was looking at each of them, and I saw Duncan with his luscious mane of hair look at me and kind of give me a smile. And I couldn't understand why he was smiling. He thought me. he was flirting. And at the end... <laughs> As he does. He might have been. Yeah. Um, at, the, at the end, when Peter turned to me, my first reaction... Um, a 25-year-old man who's meant to run his own business was, my mother's going to kill me. And <laughs> the, teasing, <laughs> the teasing that I have taken from friends and family in a very short period of time is, um, is horrifically embarrassing. And is there, is there a proper rivalry between the dragons? Because it's all a bit tense and it's all a bit, oh, you shouldn't have, why did you do that? Why did you offer 20%? Is that genuine? Or is it a little bit of showbiz? Uh, to be honest with you, um, when you go in there, you have no idea you're on a television. It really feels uh, so... It, exactly how it comes across on TV. And I think between the dragons, there is rivalry. Mm. Uh, at the same time, they all seem to kind of, you know, I think they've been together so long, there des definitely seems to be a friendship between all of them. But I think when, a, when, when someone goes in, I, I do think there is an element of competitiveness between them. So what's next, very quickly, in, in 20 seconds, what's next for the business? Uh, well, we've, we've actually just uh, launched our website online, um, which, which is great because all of the products are now offered on our website. 
and you can find us in a lot of kind of the high street fashion retailers if you go into Debenhams River Island next and a few of the other fashion places you should see some skinny Super. dip products so James Richard I, I wish you the very very best of luck with the business and thank you for providing wonderful entertainment in Dra- Dragon's Den knocks the apprentice into a, a cocked hat doesn't it totally does I think it's fantastic we should try and get Duncan Ballantyne on the show one day I've got his phone number. Yeah, it's about the only celebrity phone number I've got in my phone. He doesn't reply to me anymore either when I text him. He used to reply, he doesn't bother anymore. Uh, That was James uh, and Richard Gold, uh, who were on last night's Dragon's Day. Monday the 10th of September, these are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. 700 Olympic and Paralympic athletes will be celebrating a summer of sporting achievement with a victory parade through London today. Chesham and Amersham MP Cheryl Gillan's vowing to be more vocal in her fight to limit HS2's impact on Buckinghamshire now she's no longer a member of the Cabinet. In sport, Stevenage are up to third in football's League One after a 2-1 win at Coventry yesterday. The Borough came from behind to win with goals from Robin Schrute and Marcus Haber. And the weather across the three counties were in for a cloudy day with the chance of a few light showers. Top temperature 21 degrees. Coming up we'll hear what your Olympic highlights have been and we'll find out what your all methods are for stopping babies crying at night. BBC Three Counties Radio. Jonathan Vernon Smith is on at nine o'clock, and uh, we, I, I keep saying this, I won't keep saying it, maybe I'll make this the last day, but we do have some new listeners who have very kindly followed me over from the nonsense I used to do. Uh, uh, and if you're thinking, oh, Ian finishes at nine, I'll switch off then. Don't, don't. Give, give Jonathan a, a little go, he's worth it. He's, honestly, he's brilliant. No, he's brilliant. I don't say that lightly. He's, he's one of my favourites. Now, Calling all parents. Calling all parents. Calling all parents. Those nights when your kids couldn't sleep, what on earth did you do? How did you get them to sleep? You hear stories about this going on for years. My eight-month-old won't sleep. We're trying the controlled crying thing. It's hard work. It's hard work. Well, our reporter Jenna has been out and she's been asking you for your tips. Ian, you've got three children. I want to find out what your tips are to stop children from crying late at night when they're tired, they're ratty, they don't want to go to bed. How did you cope? Okay, best thing I found was stick them in a room and leave them there and let them cry it out. (laughs) Did you find that hard as a parent to just leave the children crying? Um, I probably should have found it harder than I did, I don't know. No, I mean, in, in all seriousness, um, we had this thing called a witching hour between six and seven. So all my children go to bed at seven o'clock and they all slept through from about nine weeks. I'm probably not a great expert on this. But they have this thing called the witching hour. So between six and seven, we're, as, we're very tolerant with them. When it comes to seven o'clock, they know that that's the time they go to bed. So one of the things that we had to do very early on was things like, um, I mean, you called it controlled crying earlier. It's a little bit similar is that you go, you know, you put them to bed, they start crying, you leave, you leave them there for a little bit, but when you go back and you don't say anything to them, you just go back in so they know that they're there, you walk back out again, and you extend those periods of time. So, yeah, I guess we did attempt some kind of controlled crying. Julie, what are your top tips for getting children to sleep? Um, we used to take my daughter out in the car when she wouldn't settle, put her in the car seat and drive around the block, and that used to send her off. How often did that happen? Um, so, not... Fairly regularly, maybe once, twice a month. Yeah, and she wouldn't settle, so. And did you think that the rhythm of the car moving and... Yeah, it's just the whole noise. and Yeah, yeah, it was the noise and, uh, yeah, it seemed to soothe her off, yeah. Okay, well, I'm Joe Dumont and I have three kids. One of them is seven, one's five, and one of them's 15 months. And I think the mistake that we made with our first child was actually giving in to him too easily. Um... When he couldn't get to sleep, we'd rub his back 
until he went off again. We were still doing that like 18 months later. And we should have just said no, no, you know, we'll let him cry through it and eventually he'll settle himself down again. And that's what happened with our next two. And we haven't had any problems with them. So um, definitely the thing that, that I would do is just try and be strong. I know it's tough. You've got a crying baby. Every instinct in your body is telling you to rush out and oh, go to him or her. But no, just leave them. Let them sort themselves out. This, this driving babies around, it works. But come on. Have you seen the price of petrol these days? I can't justify... I can't justify... Driving the the kids around at two in the morning to get them to sleep. Um, oh, dearie, dearie me. Hey, listen, uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who's on at nine, came in earlier and said I look like Mr Shoe from Glee. I have Googled Mr Shoe from Glee. I have tweeted a picture of Mr Shoe from Glee. I take that as quite a compliment. He's quite a good-looking gentleman. He's kind of that sort of geeky... Geeky-sheeky. Geek-sheek is the, the phrase, I think, isn't it? I quite like that. I've never seen Glee, and I, I, I'm praying that as long as I live, I never have to see Glee, because it just sounds absolutely awful. But, um, <laughs> uh, I, I, can, I can live with that comparison. There are, there are worse people I could be told I look like, don't you think? Listen, thank you so much for all of your tips on uh, helping get my kids to sleep. It's going to be an ongoing saga, I'm afraid. Over the next few weeks, you're going to hear lots of... The eldest, two and a half, he kind of sleeps through. He's in a big boy bed now. He kind of sleeps through, but it's getting him to sleep is the thing. And the problem we had was when we were... um, When he was a baby, we would rock him to sleep. We'd carry him to sleep. We'd spend hours in his room kind of... Not shaking him. That makes it sound much more aggressive than it actually was. But kind of carrying him and rocking and singing to him. So that was the only way he could get to sleep. Now, we have the bath, we get in the bed, he has some milk, and I kind of have to stay in the bed with him until he falls asleep. So, um, we'll see. We've got, uh, I think, is that Shirley? Hello, Shirley. Hello. Shirley and Milton Keynes, how are you this morning? You all right? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, you sound flustered. What's going on? I'm, I'm not overly brilliant at the moment, no. What's sorry. wrong? Are you all right? I've got a really bad ulcer on the inside of my ankle. Oh, oh, Shirley, what an image for those enjoying their, their I brand know, flakes. I know, I know, it is so uh, extremely, extremely painful. Uncomfortable, what, 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 yeah. what do you do with it, just, just wash it? Uh, I don't touch it, ooh, no, I have ooh. to go to the nurse ooh. twice a week. <laughs> and what does, oh, I, 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 I'm going to regret asking this, what does the, does the nurse do to it? They just clean it and redress it, put fresh dressings on it and everything, you know. Um, but it is so painful. Oh, bless you, Shirley. But well, never mind. Never That's mind. That's why we've phoned. Onwards and upwards. What have you got yes, for us? exactly. The crying babies. Yes. I mean, my youngest is now 40, so they're all <laughs> grown up. And I, I, have, I have three children. Uh, my first instinct... I don't, want, I don't want my boys to be 40. <laughs> I want them to be two and a half day. and eight months. I want them to stay like that. No, I know, I know. It's, uh, it's hard. It's hard when they're growing up. When, I, I just thought, when my um, youngest is 40... Yeah. I'll be 79. Oh, my oh goodness. Oh, my me. goodness! Well, I'm heading towards 70, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, you sound very sprightly for a 70-year-old, apart from that horrible foot of yours. Anyway, Shirley, yeah. go on, sorry. But, however, my first instinct was always to make sure that there was never any underlying problem yep. why they were crying. Of course. It could be that they're, they're thirsty, could be teething, maybe perhaps got a bit of wind. 
But I never, I never ever. Oh, look, look, Shirley, Shirley, crying. let me interrupt. The yes, ki- the kids next door who who help produce this show, and I use the, the word produce with a very small p. You yeah. said winding, they all burst into giggles. It's a really? it's, part, it's part of growing up. Of course it is. Wind, course it. Wind can be so extremely oh. painful, especially it's bad enough for us if we get it. But oh I mean, dear. For baby, it is so extremely painful. I wish. I, I, I bright f- water was a godsend. I used to find we don't. The, the second one doesn't need winding so much, but the first one, I used to find it like playing a video game, winding him. Because if I got yeah. one out, uh, but I, I could feel if there was a second one in there, getting yeah. that second one out. Oh, when oh. it comes out, yes, that's yeah. a result. Yeah, that's a result. That's I wish it. someone would would wind me, put me over their <laughs> shoulder, and rock me back and forth, and pat my back. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll ask Jonathan. <laughs> Up a thought in the mind, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you're, you're right, and it's it is hard to tell if they're teething or it if there's a, there's some kind of physical thing that's wrong yes, with them, perhaps. It is. And I think that's always you know, um, you can't just if they cry, just first of all say no, we'll leave them, yeah, because you need to check in case there is do. an underlying problem. Of course, you do, Shirley. Listen, uh, good luck with your. Horrible foot. I hope it gets sorted out. Thank you so much, Shirley and Milton Keith. Laughing at winding, for goodness sakes. Well, the greatest Paralympic Games ever. Those are the words of Sir Philip Craven, the International Paralympic Committee President. London 2012 came to an end last night with a spectacular closing ceremony for the Paralympics. Our reporter, Jenna Benson, has uh, been very busy this morning. She's been out in the three counties to talk to you about your Olympic highlights. My name's Melvin Beaumont. I'm Jeanette Beaumont. Uh, did you enjoy and watch the Olympics and the Paralympics? Yes, it was very good. Very good. I was, I was looking forward to the run-up anyway, but yeah, I thought it was very good. For me, it was how it showed you the people that took part, especially in the Paralympics, how they achieved what they did with all their disabilities. It was fantastic, I think. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, to me, it just brought everyone together and it was, well miles better than what i could expected but the olympics was fantastic and the paralympics well it makes you very grateful to be who you are and i just take my hat off to those people i really really do it's all over now are you feeling a sense of loss um obviously initially i suppose you must do but um when the closing ceremony did say that this is to be passed on and it's to be appreciated worldwide. So hopefully this will be the case and uh, more so in, in, in the country that actually did it. I thought it was brilliant. Zebco saying made in Britain was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Just about the right it's words captured it fantastically. And what are you looking forward to next in 2012? Is there anything left to look forward to? Yes, I think if people have got the spirit anyway and if they carry on taking it forward, introduce it to the children and if everyone in the communities, you know with schools if everyone keeps that then we can keep going forward i thought the, i thought the whole thing from start to finish the olympics the paralympics i thought it did britain proud actually and what did you enjoy the most about the olympics and the paralympics um i think the spirit in which it was carried out in so the, the the way that the athletes competed the respect that they showed for each other i think it teaches a lot of other sports a lot of lessons about how competitive um sport can be um, I thought the crowds were amazing. I mean, I actually went to a couple of events and they were they were fantastic. What are we going to talk about? Now the Olympics and the Paralympics are over, what are we going to do? I think tomorrow's show will... Tomorrow's show will talk about the parade. Did you go? Was it good? And then Wednesdays, there's nothing. That's it. I think we, we all quit. 
done. We, it has been fantastic. I would I suggest that we'd reached the tipping point in terms of uh, sports coverage, uh, and it's it's ended at the right time. But it has been cracking, hasn't it? If you didn't get if you didn't go to anything, more for you. I I, I bought a ticket for the Paralympics, fifteen quid. They gave me a travel card as well, so it cost me a fiver basically. And even me, Mr. Grumpy, I was on my way there, and it was getting busier and busier. I'm thinking, do you know what? I don't think I can I can stomach these crowds. I think I'm going to turn back home and go home. And then I got off the train, and it's all the the helpers all being very friendly. And but as soon as I got in there, just oh, yeah. wonderful, just fantastic. Absolutely superb. If you're going to the parade today, enjoy yourself. Have a cracking time. I'm sure it'll be absolutely wonderful. Um, I'm a little bit envious. I can't go, really. Never mind. I'll be dozing. Uh, Working for tomorrow's show. Thank you so much to everyone who took part in the show today. The whole point of this show is that you get to come and have your, your say and have your, your opinion heard. We may scorn it if it's nonsense, but we'll have a listen. Uh, I'm back tomorrow at six. Stick around, because after the news, it's Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.